is a team always in a survival situation? Because I don't know what a team is. A team could be two people, three people, mm -hmm. ten. Is there, a, is there a number where a team is a burden? When you kill one squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Blab, during good times, tall tell some big lies, fall under your category. Get with Aaron and Joe's, cause you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story. Just get with Aaron and Joe's, hey, you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Cooking Up a Story with Aaron and Joe's. This episode is brought to you by Whitecap Construction Supplies. Now, Whitecap, they have what you need when you need it, whether it's rebar, rentals, tools, construction, any construction material, and they even do in-house design if you need it. My favorite part about Whitecap is their, I guess, lead sales rep, yeah. Mike Brady. He's the type of guy, if you need anything, give him a call. I know he's a uh, listener of the show. Every week he calls me and tells me about it. Uh, so if you need anything, give Mike a call. Reach out to Mike Brady and uh, let him know what you need. He'll hand deliver it. Martinez, isn't he one of the most healthy 60-plus-year-old well, I mean, Other men? than me, yeah, but, uh, yeah, he's pretty yeah. healthy guy. I, well, I mean, he's a healthy you know, he kinda, yeah. I mean, he was always in shape. Yeah. It seemed like he lost a little weight, but... Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's a good looking guy, and like you say, if you need something, he's got you. He'll he'll have it there in thirty e minutes every time. Yeah, every he's time. kind of a survivalist type guy too. Mm -hmm. He can climb some stuff and ride up and down some stuff. Yeah, he's do all dirt bikes some stuff. Damn it. <laughs> People probably would find this surprising. He's a wee bit healthier than I am. <laughs> Ooh, I wouldn't go that far, but but who's I'm our guest kidding. today? All right. Uh, we are also brought to you by American Survival Co. And their owner is Matt Tate, and he's in-house with us. He's our guest tonight. Matt, tell us about American Survival Co. Well, I uh, started it with my business partner uh, about four years ago, and American Survival Co. is dedicated towards basically uh, getting people prepared for their worst day so it won't be their last. So whether you're someone who just is into hiking hunting spending time in the outdoors and you want to learn you know a few more skills to feel more comfortable and confident out in the woods mm -hmm. uh, all the way up to disappearing into the woods with just a knife and living off the land and kind of everything in between so anything uh geared towards self-reliance okay, that's our mission that's awesome true or false one of the most important things short of your case pocket knife to have in your pocket would be some form of a fire starter hundred percent absolutely i was gonna say sunscreen but no, no i'm just kidding <laughs> my opinion and it's only mine is that fire is the key to survival it unlocks everything else right it's the start of humanity it is so absolutely. what's your favorite starting fire starting a bic lighter damn right yeah. <laughs> i see mom on the ship mama yeah. didn't raise no what i got yep a bic lighter uh but you know stuff happens uh a ferro rod uh is doesn't run out of juice and as long as you take care of that thing it'll take care of you i've never wore one out i, I lose them before i wear them out uh, but i'm a big fan of i don't care really how unlikely it is that you would use that particular fire starting method uh, in a survival scenario i want to master every method right. that i can from friction fire bow drill hand drill using chemicals like potassium permanganate and glycerin you name it, I want to be able to do it. 
Uh, but my favorite's a big lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, I got gotcha. you. What's the three components of fire? Well, that's uh, fuel. Yep. Uh, that'd be oxygen. Mm-hmm. And some way to start that sun And an ignition. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. A plus. Yeah. yeah, well, I had a little fire science <laughs> in my past. Um, so, Matt, I spent a solid week of researching Matt Tate. Now, this is a little bit different. If you Googled up Joe Wilson or even Joe Martinez, you're going to find a lot of people that ain't us, right? There's a congressman in South Carolina goes by the name of Joe Wilson. One time he stood up in front of Congress and told everybody how Obama lied, and uh, I got a lot of fan, <laughs> fans from that. Dude. But Googling up some Matt Tate mm-hmm. led me down a road of your previous history, your military experience, um, your TV shows that you've been a part of, your current operation, uh, uh, survival skills. Right. We're actually going to take you back a lot earlier than that. Okay. We're going to go back to when you were wearing diapers. All right. Let's do it. And I believe that must have happened in Oklahoma. That happened in Arkansas. No, Melbourne. Melbourne, he said yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yep, yep. Was born uh, here in Arkansas. A uh, little town called Melbourne. I was born at home. Home of Townsend Spice and Supplies, one of our best supporters of the program. Do you know yeah. Shane Lynn, Melbourne? I, I don't. I'm, now, I moved away from there when I was eight. And so I probably still have tons of family there. Uh, but my dad died when I was young, and that was my dad's side of the family that was you. there. So I didn't keep in contact with a lot of folks from there. So you, um, at eight years old, where'd you move? Oklahoma, northeastern Oklahoma, little town called Stillwell. Now, Stillwell is an interesting place for two reasons. It battles back and forth from year to year with one or two other counties in the U.S. as the poorest county in the United States. And I think last year I saw that it came out as the county with the lowest life expectancy in the United States of oh, 54 no, years old. Bad on top of bad. I'm yeah. not going to move yeah. there. I wouldn't live another day. Right. <laughs> some some them really, them really them good Indian people. doctors will get you. <laughs> how, about the, how about the big feats over there in Stillwell? Uh, that is where the National uh, Research Center is. There was is, a guy I that I was looking for to get on the show, and that's where he was from, Stillwell. So where, their big place that they hunt is where I grew up. No, on a place Did you ever Killer see one? Mountain. I've never seen one, but I, I would tell you that Yes I'm no. pretty sure I heard one, but I've never seen one with my own eyes. They sound a lot like a Black Panther. It, it sounded like a whole bunch of things mixed <laughs> together, and whatever it was scared me, now, I'll tell you that. Th- that Oklahoma variety of the Bigfoot, is it the six-toe or five-toe version? I think they've got eight. No kidding. I think. Climbing sons of guns, <laughs> So uh, you grew up in Oklahoma. Yep. Yep, dirt poor uh, on top of uh, – Mountain kind of in the middle of nowhere. Went to a really small school with a graduating class of 35 or 36. Eight-man football. And uh, it was, was a great put, place to grow up. Where did you go to school? Peavine? Or? Uh, well, I went to grade school at a few different grade schools, but I'll call Greasy or Bale. Greasy, yeah. Bale was uh, my first school there in Oklahoma. And I graduated from Cave Springs hmm. uh, in Bunch, Oklahoma. I got you. So, yeah, it was a good place to grow up, good people, and uh, – not a lot of issues that you see in bigger cities right. and bigger schools right. and things like We looked out for each other there. Yeah. You know, it was a good place. Did you start off with a BB gun or a pellet rifle? BB gun, Red Rider. Did you you yep. can't shoot much with the Red Rider, but boy, you could shoot some BBs out of that. We day. had some BB gun wars, I'll tell <laughs> you, you that. Uh, so was the outdoors yeah. critical to your growing up? You know, 
I would say once we moved to Oklahoma, uh, my dad had previously had a, a trucking business here in Arkansas, and I think they changed some fuel tax laws, and it basically bankrupted us. So the mom and dad had to start back over when we got there, and we didn't have anything. Like the, the toy I had was a basketball, and not a basketball goal, but an actual metal rim that we nailed to a tree. And that was, other than that, we played in the woods. And, you know, if we played baseball, we had wad up ten full from yesterday's mm-hmm. dinner, and that'd get wrapped in black tape, and that'd be our baseball. You yeah. know? There you go. So, so all at your school, were the other kids as poor as you? Oh, yeah, for the most part. Did, and, you, did you know you were poor? Uh, I mean, no. I guess uh, we didn't have a lot, but I was never hungry, and mom and dad loved me, and I was clothed. Uh, And the truth is, some of the other kids, especially when I was younger, some of the other kids that I thought had money um, probably wasn't any better off than I was. Mm -hmm. You know, just when you're a kid, you you think what you think. But uh, we We did a show here a while back, and our guests grew up in a really broken home and was really poor had a bunch of drugs and everything in his life and when he went to school he could visualize how other kids had it worse off than he did Mm -hmm. and he had it pretty damn bad he's pretty much a survivalist he he is a survivalist but did you did you kind of look around and think some other kids had it rougher than you had it for sure uh i've always been an optimist uh, I can find something. I can find something to be sad about, or I can find something to be had about, uh, happy about. And I, I ain't got time for feeling sorry for myself. And so I just find things, you know, uh, to be happy about. Yeah, the the worst, in my opinion, was the people who had, you know, alcoholic parents that slap them around and and things like that. I didn't have any of that. I had love, and that was that was good for me, you know. Roger so, that. Yeah, I recognize yeah. that. How about siblings? Did you have brothers and sisters? I guess or. Yeah, uh, I grew up with a couple brothers. I've got a, a brother and a half-sister that I hadn't seen in 30 years, so they really weren't part of my upbringing. But uh, I've got two older brothers, and the middle one, him and I, fought like cats and dogs always. And uh, the older one, oh, he, he was old enough. Uh, we just, I guess, got along good enough. He didn't really bother me, and I didn't bother him. And every now and then we'd kind of team up on the one in the middle because he's a jerk to both of us, you know. I got you. So but, uh, you wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah, well, I was afraid of what would happen if I stayed mm. because there's so many. They just ain't handing out hope like candy on the side of the street there. You know yeah. what I mean? And so uh, I knew I had to get out of there. I just didn't. I knew I wasn't made to work in a factory, and that was about the only thing there was there. And some people are. And I'd be happy their whole lives doing it, but God didn't create me for that. Yeah, right. You know? So after high school, what did what was your next step? Uh, after high school, I, I was still kind of trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> there's a little job there on Main Street. There's one of those little loan shark places, you know, where they charge crazy interest. You bet. Oh yeah. And uh, but I mean, wore slacks and stuff, and so uh, I wound up falling into that gig and. I wound up in the middle of nowhere. They'd send me out, and not like strong-arming people, but if people didn't pay their bills, I'd have to go out and say, hey, just letting you know, you know, uh, if you like payments do, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but I was, I was always really nice, and I wound up going to this, this place. Um, 
was in the absolute middle of nowhere and i pulled it was a, a dead end road and there was two houses on it. i pulled up to this house where this this lady was supposed to uh, live and somebody i heard a four-wheeler start up from the other house and it drove down and there was a big old guy with a bolt action rifle hmm. pointed at me as he drove up to me and he said what are you doing here and i said i'm leaving <laughs> that's all i'm doing i'm, I'm lost as, as long as you'll let me i'm leaving right now and so that i knew that was it and i had to do something so my brother had joined the army and i thought well i guess if he can do it you know i, I ought to have the same stuff to do it so mm-hmm. that was my my ticket out of there. so was it i mean the army's an opportunity for you to meet tons and tons of people from different places different attitudes yeah well the army was a good it was a very humble experience for me because i was captain of the football team quarterback and of the other seven guys of the other seven guys all seven of them um but i I was i was never in trouble i was kind of the all-american kid i kept my grades up and uh yeah i was a big fish in a small pond and so when i went off to boot camp at fort leonard wood missouri and I was just a number, and nobody cared about me, and yeah. I was struggling to stay in the middle of the pack. That was a that was a good slap in the face for me to realize. Mm-hmm. So what year what year was this? Uh, ninety eight, nineteen ninety. So you're pre nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so were you in the military during nine eleven? I was. Uh, I had joined uh, the Army National Guard uh, as a combat engineer, and. Mm, maybe a year, maybe two years after I came home from boot camp, uh, I had the opportunity to go to work for the military department. And they run a youth challenge program there uh, that's 22-week long boot camp. And so I wound up taking a drill instructor position there. And so for me, it was the best of both worlds. I didn't have to go, you know, to Fort Hood or wherever. Like, I got to stay at home and have the the military thing there. And... uh, I think I had worked a midnight shift, and I'd come home, and I'd just plop down on the couch and turn on the TV, and I saw those planes hit the towers. Mm. And I knew right then it was just a matter of time. Till you got the call. Till we got the call, yep, sure enough. And did you get the call? Yeah, again, I was at work, and I don't remember what it was, but in our unit, probably all units, uh, they had a code word. And if you got a call with that code word, it was serious, and it was, it was time to, to go. And so I got called into a supervisor's office. My platoon sergeant was on the phone. He said the code word, and I was like, seriously? He said, yep, you have 72 hours uh, to have all your affairs in order and be here. So what were your affairs? Did you have a family? Did you have a wife? Yeah, at the time, uh, I, was, I was married, had a, a couple stepsons. And so uh, it was just going home and getting my duffel bags packed and trying to seal up... Uh, like uh getting the wheel knocked out i didn't have a wheel at the time and so just trying to do whatever you can we didn't you know know where we were going how long we were going to be gone we didn't have any information at the time so you're in the guards where, where were you out of still well okay. they were still there they were still having you know the armories in the towns i right. think now mm-hmm. it's consolidated yeah, to big yeah, starship yeah. uh but yeah we went to the armory there in Stillwell, and we spent uh three days getting things kind of in order and then sure enough buses showed up and off to fort seal we went for the next three months was uh, this you know as a boy did you watch red dawn oh yeah you love rambo you name it all that stuff so as as most of us boys we watched red dawn and we looked out the window at school waiting for the parachutes and 
and we built tiger traps out in the field <laughs> and prepared for the Russians. Yeah. And so as awkward and weird as it sounds, it, it's a different time back then. I think we we were ready mm-hmm. and kind of almost wanted it. Right. Is that weird? No, I, I think, you know, a lot of people who I didn't join for college, I joined uh, for a way out, but also because I wanted to test myself. And I grew up playing, you know, grabbing sticks and playing guns and army in the woods and stuff too. I think uh, same thing. So I, I certainly was excited about it, but it'd be a lie to say I wasn't also when, when the call came that I, I didn't get a little bit nervous too, oh, you know. So when you, when you boys are standing around there in Stillwell waiting for three days to get your flights, mm-hmm. is there a conversation like that? Are guys scared or are guys just gun-ho, piss and vinegar ready? No, I think it was more – what does what does the next year look like? What does the next eighteen months look like? Look, exactly. we've never done. We've never been deployed right. before. We mm-hmm. never. And uh, at that time, I don't think there had been any Oklahoma Guard troops uh, deployed in a really long time. Not since maybe early eighties. Uh, so we were just kind of trying to figure out what does this look like and and what is this experience going to be for us. We were ready. To like, let's just bypass what we have to do for the next three months and let's just get there and, and get started, whatever that means. Right. But, you know, government don't work that way. And so. So what did it mean when you guys got on the ground? Uh, it, it At Fort Sill or in Iraq? Iraq. Uh, well, again, we didn't know what to expect. We, uh, we flew in on a C-130 into... Uh, base that they changed those bases throughout time there the names of them but when we left it was called Tecatum and a little air base I don't know 20 30 miles west or northwest of Fallujah I never heard of Fallujah only I mean I'd heard of Baghdad that's it and so uh, when we got there uh, we didn't know what it meant we just was standing by um, give command some time to get set up for us to get settled and figure out what was what. Was it active? Uh, not, not heavily active at that time where we were. We had heard uh, about action, and uh, we we're probably there at that that base for three, three and a half weeks. And so you know, after a week goes by, you kind of start settling in, going to chow every day and stuff. And they had. Uh, like gift shops you could buy stuff they had some restaurants like the local iraqi guys and so you know a couple weeks you know we kind of get comfortable we're like okay we're everybody else is going in these shops we can get and it's right. you know inside the the forward operating base and so we go up there one day and all the shops are closed and we go the next day and all the shots so two or three days goes by and we start asking some questions and the answer we get back is all those guys would ride on to that base every day in the back of a pickup truck. And they were leaving one day, and they killed them all uh, a mile or two outside the gate because they were, quote, unquote, helping Americans. So they just massacred them all. Just, so, for, just for being there. Yeah, just for being there. So that was my first, like, oh. They're shooting at people. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to get people. And so I, we may have had some mortars come in there no i don't i don't think so i don't think if they were they were they were a good distance <laughs> off 
um, if they were. It wasn't anything that was close to us. So is this pre the first Battle of Fallujah? Yeah, so we went over in February of 04, and we were on that uh, Camp Decatum for, like I said, three, three and a half weeks. And that's when those two contractors in Fallujah got pulled out of the car, beat to death, hung, stripped, hung, and burned. Right. And there was a transition period that was happening right around then. We had got attached to the 82nd Airborne initially, and then uh, the 1st Marine Division took over the Anbar province. And that's... So so then we felt we were attached to the 1st Marines. So we actually had uh, a guest, Lucas, mm-hmm. who was part of that 1st Marine Division. Okay. He handled uh, the 1st Fallujah and the 2nd. Yep, I was there for both of you. And, um, man, great, great guy. Heroic story. Yeah. Of Matter of fact, his story has some Army guys in it, mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was... Uh, Man, they were battling it out. Mm-hmm. And, Aaron, you'll have to walk me through this. But he had, was it his wedding ring or something that come off during the battle? Whenever he reached over to get it and... I think maybe it was his yeah, wedding Yeah, I ring. think so. I think it was his wedding ring he had. And he reached over to get it. And they, they were shooting at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was like a a bunch of army guys come in yeah. maybe from colorado or something yeah sounds familiar yeah he was about he was about maxed out he about was done. he was about killed right there right. and these army guys like a bunch of cowboys just started shooting up the place and, mm-hmm. nice. and saved him and we've actually had, absolutely saved him yeah we've actually had two of our guests that fought in fallujah right on. both great great guys so right you were there for both of them yeah mm-hmm. and so you're actually in the shit, or are you supporting? On the first one, uh, our, and I wound up being support on the first one. And so uh, all of our guys, the idea was to link up uh, multiple Marine units and multiple Army units to just surround the city. And so uh, I was doing support, so I wasn't, well, nobody went in on that first one, but I wasn't there uh, with my buddies surrounded. I was doing support um, outside the FOB. The second one, everybody got their fair taste of that. Um, and that second one, they they brought in so much artillery, self-propelled, tow-behind, 155s. I never – I mean, we did three months at Fort Seal, and I never saw that much artillery. And they prepped that city for two, three weeks, just day and night, night and day. It was just nothing but artillery prepping that. So, you know, they're probably – seals or delta there was a delta compound uh there on that fob so there's probably seals or delta that was in there just you know spotting targets and just softening mm-hmm. that thing up did your time in fallujah change what fourth of july feels like it did for a while it it, it sure did for a while and i didn't i didn't know uh until I, we can talk about that later i didn't know fallujah isn't necessarily what war is that's the war that i know is because that's where we were but uh buddies that have deployed multiple times after that you know they're like no it wasn't anything you know like our our time there but uh it did for a few years and it it was uh it pissed me off that it did it's like that it took that's kind of yeah Mm -hmm. it took something from your question well my here's the deal we're stepping up on fourth of july Mm -hmm. and 
for our whole lives, that's been a time of celebration and explosions and right. uh, making China more money through buying their products <laughs> through phosphorus and <laughs> yeah. magnesium. <More> black catch. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's been one of those deals that I mean, Fourth of July goes way back there, man, and it's a celebration of our independence from them dirty red coats. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it was probably ten years ago was the first time that you started hearing people say hey be kind to the veterans right. and and don't do your fireworks and and there's signs veteran lives here no fireworks and so i retaliated against that deal yeah and it, i invited as many veterans as i could to blow shit up yeah mm-hmm. and you know it was it was one of those deals get how back that, to how, get back on yeah well the way i saw that was that was my sacrifice and that's any other veteran sacrifice so that you can do that it, you know at a bare minimum you can do that and celebrate that and so uh i was never one of those guys i would just go off and be where there weren't going to be any fireworks and if if i could see the fireworks like you know knew they were coming it was it was the ones that i didn't know yeah. about that would you know right. startle me mm-hmm. um but i just told myself like i'm, I'm gonna get to a point i'm gonna force myself to just like stay out here and be exposed to it and then eventually get over I'll, it, yeah. I'll get over it and it'll be normal again but how i mean this is matt's opinion only yeah. matt's yeah opinion. that's who we're how dare about. any guy who went over there that says i went over there to fight for you and i'm going to come back home and say you can't set off your fireworks and celebrate our country's independence yeah being the greatest country there's ever been on the face of this planet 100 percent. Right, who who dares do that right that ain't what it's about my problems were my problems, and so I sorted through them and got them fixed. Can, can we? You, can we? Friend. Can we fix problems through exposure? I believe so. Exposure. Now I got plenty of exposure because whenever uh, I moved to McAllister, Oklahoma, home uh, of the Moab, the home of the Moab, and they do a lot of demilling there and let me tell you something there's probably not a foundation in McAllister that's not cracked especially when they got a low cloud ceiling and they're demoing stuff out there and it took me a couple years but that exposure to that eventually started you know getting much much more tame and uh, training and forcing myself to go do even just fun things like you know paintball Mm -hmm. changing back to, this is a fun thing to do it's and, a fun thing to have guys shoot at you besides being the, yeah. the last day of your life so uh i don't know i just feel like uh that is the veteran community's responsibility to fix and i i don't personally know anybody who takes that uh opinion or outlook of hey i've done something so don't do that uh, you know i went over there and fought so don't be setting don't let your kids set off those fireworks and enjoy freedom tonight yeah that's nonsense are you familiar with a thing is it called snout to tail is that, is that right so Mm-mm. it it would be like uh say in world war Two, it took four non-fighting men for support per soldier who was actually fighting mm-hmm. and then when we went to vietnam it was like seven support to one actual fighting soldier and then by the time we got to afghanistan and iraq it got up to 16 support for one fighting man did you know that no 
So that's, that's how that deal works. So, like, whenever you hear, say, we had 200,000 people involved in, say, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean you got 200,000 M16s in the field uh, that, are, that are going <coughs> out there. You've got a support system. And that support system is the guys packing the parachutes, the medical staff, the people who are doing the laundry, the intel group, um, you name it, fueling, all that. Now, that doesn't mean since you're support, you're not in the shit. Right. Because someone's got to fuel up that tank while it's in the middle of a field surrounded by the bad guy. Quartermaster. So Mm -hmm. I, I was studying this a while back, and Matt, you might be the guy to answer it, but, you know, it's something like, uh, do you know the stats on PTSD? How many veterans claim they have PTSD? Uh-uh. It's somewhere like 60%. Okay. And so if, if you got 200,000 people and it takes 17, 18 to support one soldier, but you got 60% of the overall military who come back and say they have PTSD because maybe they were packing a parachute too close to whatever Mm -hmm. they heard something um they know somebody that's seen something i know you don't focus too much on guns and what you do you're more the survival deal but i've questioned this Mm -hmm. like if you really wanted to stun america i think it's question number two on on an application to buy a firearm it says have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness and ptsd would be one right I guess so, the technically medical definition. Yeah. Technically it would. So technically if it's asked the question, if you have a mental illness, check yes or no, and you're 60% of our veterans who've come back from these deals, that's 60% of the people who could be a felon. I guess. I mean, I guess it depends on whose definition you go with. I guess really. it matters how far Nancy goes with the deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or how you want to answer it, depending yeah. on how bad you want to go. But you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of those deals to where our government's put us into this into this area saying that, that you do have a disorder. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear. A disorder it would be something mental. Mm-hmm. And now most veterans love firearms maybe that's their only thing to help them right you know going out shooting guns shooting at the range and feeling this patriotism and all of this stuff and but you've put yourself into a corner to where now you're a, a target mm-hmm. to have your shit taken away yeah but you know to that i'd say 90 percent of americans suffer from some form shape or fashion of ptsd I, I a car wreck losing a loved one I, to me i don't equate it just to you know, combat or, you know, experiencing hard times. Like probably everybody sitting at this table has got some form of PTSD from some hardship in life, you know, that they've had. So I don't know. For me, when I look at that on a form, uh, in my mind, I think, have you been institutionalized right. for yeah, that? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying, too, though. Is I that do. is that correct? In my mind, it is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I... So if, I mean... Aaron, so what, right. would, what would you say? If I had PTSD and I was a combat vet or whatever and i needed to get a rifle i'm not marking yes i know you're not and if i'm struggling but so you're saying is that right or wrong i'm saying by the letter of the law yeah 
And hey, know. I'm a hundred percent behind anybody. Sure. You know, I'm I'm far from anti-gun. Yeah. I've just kind of questioned this whole thing, the legal part of it, mm-hmm. and if it one day they said, hey, you know what, we're going to really follow the rules on that paper, and you checked. You don't right. have a mis- uh, mental disorder, but yet the VA is giving you sex yeah. appeals. So if you're yeah. getting some kind of treatment, yeah, for mm-hmm. and you have PTSD, can you legally own a gun? I mean, how's that work? That's what, I think that's what Joe's getting at. Where's the line? So I would say yes, you can. And the reason I would say that it's I've not seen it in a long time, but there was a few years not not too long back to where there were in instances where the va was sending letters right. to guys who had certain level and and i don't know because it wasn't there i don't know if it was hey you have a certain percentage or hey your physician turned your name into this person might mm. not need to have a gun list i don't know but that hasn't been a thing for a good while now right um that i've seen so i would just say like just to say i could give you a firm 100 percent answer I would need to just look at that document and give you my interpretation. But at the end of the day, who defines right. that? Crazy. Does the government? Does who, the who defines does, crazy? Yeah. Does the does the medical field? Which AMA? I mean, who? Right. who we talk? So you get into that type of stuff, and there's probably reasons that that hasn't been pushed real hard, is because that's going to be something it's going to hell of a fight, quick. ain't it? Yeah, but I, but it I think that is something that maybe the VA does push people to hey. You, don't you have PTSD, you know? Oh, we've watched it to our friends. I know uh, a guy that is related to a guy. <laughs> who knows a dude? That ha- gets a check for PTSD for being in the penitentiary. Hmm. Hmm. I so would imagine being in the pen would probably give you PTSD. <laughs> yeah. It ain't no PTSD give, I want. It'd probably um, give you some it SDs, too. It ain't something they need to be drawn a check for. Yeah. It might give you more than what you want, boy. They give you something for an itch and for yeah, for right. hard times. Some of PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, how long did you stay in the military? Uh, nine years. That's a long time. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, thank you for your you service, by the yeah. way. Yes. Thank you for yeah, your service. I, I re-upped while I was in Fallujah because I was stop lost and <laughs> there wasn't no getting out. So I might as well get some bonus money <laughs> yeah. if I got to yeah. be there. And so, yeah, I finished that that last uh, three in uh, 07. I got out. So, and, you know, I tell people this kind of with a smile on my face and, and kind of joking. And I tell people, when I was in, the guard was exactly what you thought it was. It was a lot of cutting up and a lot of partying on weekends and things like that. And it was certainly not big army. But when mission time came, mission came first. We we played hard and we worked hard. We worked harder than we played, but it was uh, especially you know I talked about like our unit was in, in Stillwell and so right. we all grow grew up together. Yeah. We knew you could we say growed up. If we you we growed up together. <laughs> we we, uh, it we all a guy knew you each other. One weekend a month, you see him all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, guys that I played played football with and and that type of stuff. And so when I got out, they were starting to shift away and they were gonna start pulling and doing kind of more of the big army thing and i so i think when i separated from service it was probably the right thing to do because i don't if i wanted to join big army i would have went to big army yeah. right. how, how so. focused has your life been on team teams everything i so, mean now this this may sound a little bit messed up <clears throat> 
and probably just in this past year, I've kind of been trying to correct my mindset about this. But team has been important, but I've never been one to like put my bur- my burden on the team. Like the t- well, whoever has burden in that team will share it. But I never felt you didn't need to be carried. I, I not because I, I didn't want to burden other people. Right. Not because I thought I was that tough, but because I didn't want to burden people with my right. stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but is that because you think that their problems are more significant? And I don't want. To I didn't want to be the stress. You just didn't want to add to I, it. I just figured um, they got enough. You can deal with it. I I, I deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I get you by for so long. Sure. I get you by to your in your thirties or forties till it breaks. At some point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be a hermit somewhere. Miserable person. Well, yeah. go go into that. So for the last year, you've been trying to uh, ch- change your opinion of team. Yeah. Well, I think I just had I went through some some hard personal stuff this past year, and I just felt you know really kind of like I was on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm a man of faith, and so you know I, you see the you know you weren't walking you know by yourself you right. was being carried in the sand right. that's why there's only one set of footprints and but i i couldn't see the footprints you know I so i just felt like i was you know walking through on my own and what i found though um it was kind of like matt's going to break or he's going to <coughs> let some of this load off of his shoulders to people who love me and i was just really i think i was i was scared to do that mm-hmm. afraid i don't know if it's like in reality, those people were not ever going to reject me or judge me or anything else. But for whatever reason, so I just had to let them, you know, shoulder some of that load. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what. I mean, that's the most powerful thing I ever did. And the feeling I got back of reassurance, like, you know what? People got me too. Be, I don't yeah. just have to be the guy who has everyone Everybody else's else. back. People can be pretty damn good, and they can love you, and they can have your back too when you need it, and that's okay. It's just never its never been okay for me. I've just right. never been that guy who would allow that. Martinez and I, I think all of us, we've talked about it several times, especially this season on the show, how we've lost so many people. Whoa, we've lost, <laughs> so, we've lost so many people over the past couple years. It's, it's a funeral or two a month. And that we've had to spend a lot more time getting on the phone mm-hmm. and calling people and telling them we love them. Yeah. And we've had to start sending more messages, those weird ones that you get out of the blue where a buddy says, man, I was thinking about you. Yep. And you think, shit, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You, you get those kind of messages. But we've learned, especially on, on the show, how this circle of people that you think you got Sometimes when a traumatic deal happens, that circle's super supportive for a man two weeks, mm-hmm. three weeks, and then they slowly start fading off. And and you, we found out from our guests, you really can't blame these people, yeah, because they they've come to you and maybe you're too tough, yeah, and maybe you say, "Nah, dude, I got it." Mm-hmm. And then whenever they're all gone, right, and you don't have that team mm-hmm. or your circle or whatever you call it. Well, then you get to this loneliness. And I'd, I'd like to spread that in to the survival deal. Right. Because we've all watched Naked and Afraid 
right? Or mm-hmm. these shows alone. Mm-hmm. And these guys are surviving for 60, 90 days all by themselves. And then there's the alternate version to where there's a tribe. Right. And, and a team deal. Yeah. Is a team always in a survival situation? Because I don't know what a team is. A team could be two people, three people, mm-hmm. ten. Is there, a, is there a number where a team is a burden? When you kill one squirrel. <laughs> is is there is there a time is there a time when a when a solo lone wolf dude is more apt to survive a situation or is or is sticking with the team four people whatever well uh the, i guess the way i would answer that uh before i answer that what we were just talking about i've come to the conclusion we're all broken we're just walking around in different states of repair. And once you realize that, there, there's some freeing things to know everybody else is just broken as I am, so I don't got anything to be ashamed about if I'm broken today and they don't look like they are. Um, the team thing, looking over your shoulder when you're going down the interstate to make sure when you get into that lane uh, to the left of you to pass a car, that's survival. Not starving to death in the wilderness is survival. Like, survival's a, a pretty broad thing. Right. The only thing that I'm comfortable uh, saying to God and the world that is 1,000% always a constant truth about survival is that the situation always dictates what the right answer is. Right. So, in my mind, <clears throat> it's not a number. It depends on that It's person. a mindset. Yeah. It's a mindset of the people within that and the people ain't pulling their weight and i i have a thought process that we are all one of two things we're either assets or liabilities and the real truth is we're all both the trick is to be more of an asset than a liability so if you're someone who's in a wheelchair and maybe you're not a huge physical asset instead of in terms of getting stuff done but you got a lot of knowledge you you're more of an asset than you are a liability to me so I think it depends on the makeup of the team because if you got a whole bunch of people that are just wanting you to carry them, then it's going to be disastrous. Mm-hmm. So we learned here a while back about sitters, quitters, and getters and how that's mm. – that's uh, if there's 30 people, they're probably broke off into branches of 10, one-third sitters, one-third quitters, and the other third getters. I spent – Shit, close to eight hours watching a, a program called Snowflake Mountain. <laughs> and the first hour of watching that show, I was damn near a quitter. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that from lots of people. <laughs> the, second, the second episode, I didn't know if I was a quitter or a sitter. And by the time I got to about the fourth, I was damn sure a getter because I wanted to see what was going to get done. Right. But as I was watching this program, I witnessed those three categories of people. Right. I, I noticed that you know you had kind of an athlete, athletic gentleman mm-hmm. who was kind of a getter. Yep. You had some sure enough woke up mm-hmm. crazy quitters. Yeah. And then you had those sitters, and and in my opinion, a sitter wound up winning that show. That didn't really know which oh, way. Right. Could have quit at any time. Mm-hmm. had the ability to get sure but just kind of 
sat there laid back watching everything go on sat there and and you had to you realize this in this program and so your guys's you and your partner's mission was was you didn't need a cheerleader right which that cheerleader was the sitter you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. she was standing there telling people they could do it right but she wasn't doing it she wasn't doing yeah and so you know that's that's part of this program that we're going to talk about that show but in survival situation i think you would be dealing with the same deal there's someone who times get rough i'm just going to lay here and die yeah there's others that are going to say i'm just going to sit here and wait and there's others going to say shit i'm going to find our way out of this deal mm-hmm. is is that true i believe that uh, i think that's a, a really good uh, assessment of just how people are going to be and work and life and everything but you know it comes down to one two things we talk about real survival you either get busy living or you get busy dying one of those two and regardless of those three things those are your two final outcomes and it's going to be one or the other and that's something well i don't know the only thing i know that you could even potentially convert someone who's getting busy dying to someone who's getting busy living is to set an example that's the only thing I know. Right. You know, otherwise I can't I can't do anything for you if you're not willing to do it yourself. So that that solo person, the lone person, if say they were the they were the quitter, mm-hmm. ain't nothing you could do for. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, nope. So it's it's wise for us to start training people early. Sure. Uh, you. I do that with. I've got 11 year old daughter. And we we do uh, I do lots of things she doesn't realize what Dad's doing, and we make it a game. We make it fun, but she's an interesting kid. I took the same approach with her from the time she was tiny that I did when I was a drill instructor. When I started as a drill instructor, I was exactly what you think. And after two or three years go by, I figured out that if I really wanted to implement change, then mentorship was where it was at. They need to know that I could be hard as the devil and you didn't want to piss me off. But I, I would basically tell them, you get to control who I am today. If you want Matt to be a nice guy, you just fly right and do the right thing. The second you don't do that, then I'm not a nice guy. As soon as you step out of line, I'm going to nail you. And the second your foot's back in line, I'm nice again. Mm-hmm. So that's the approach that I've taken with my kid. And I'm like, if, you know, she's 11. She she's gonna be rolling into that oh, tear and stuff, and she's tub. just just testing. <laughs> and so, but I, I just one of the, I mean, I know like that's part of life. Every human's gonna go through that. And so if she starts getting a little outside the lines, I just say, hey, this is one of those times where. So I guess the point I'm making is I try and reason with her. Right. Like I wish somebody would reason with me and give me answers to why. Why is important sometimes, mm-hmm. not always. But a lot of times it is. And so, prime example, we had to do a bunch of landscaping around the house. And I, said, I told her, we're, we're going to go out. And she's like, oh, I don't want to. And I said, me neither, kid. But let's go because <laughs> nobody's going to do it for us. Yeah. But here's what I tell you. You won't be out there by yourself. I'll be right beside you and we'll work side by side. Well, I'm going to set the example for you. Uh, that goes a long ways starting now. And, but I tell her, like, she wants to be a veterinarian. She probably will be. She's a super smart kid. But I tell her, we need to do these things we don't want to 
So when it comes later on, hard things we don't want to, but we need to, we don't fail. It's like I don't. Maybe that's going to change when she gets into more teenagers. But These I'm trying to instill. Rough, Matt. <laughs> I do believe we train them up a way they'll come back to it. You oh know, yeah, you know, I, I think that's the, the, that's the that. secret. The oh. secret is, is we can't give up on them because they yeah. will, they will come back. So the the training that you received post military mm-hmm. to get you is there a certification to become an instructor? Uh, there are a few schools now. At the time that I went through, there was only one school that I could find in the U.S., and it just so happened at that time it was located here in Arkansas, and it was 40 days and nights uh, to go get certified. And so I quit my job. You know, I, I saved up and I planned up, and so for me— um, How much was this class? Uh, it was around 4000 uh, for for that class and it was uh it was interesting to me there was i think we started out with 13 or 15 i don't remember um guys from across the country a guy from taiwan a guy from spain like people globally you know came and, and did this and uh so what what kind of people were they like a lot of military background or just all walks of life or i would say probably 25 percent military backgrounds how many hippies Seventy-five. One. <laughs> one, one, one that was uh, he, he he was he was he was a tough guy, but uh, I mean he had some grit to him. But he was he was kind of hippieish. Was was that in Northwest Arkansas? Uh, no, it was down south of uh, Fort Smith, uh, down around the Washtaws. Oh yeah, and so uh, still pretty tough terrain down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it got rough when we were doing that, and they had different phases of this thing, and that's where I met my business partner and co-host of Snowflake Mountain, Joel Graves. Um, he, that guy had went there to do a, a, a longer immersive, immersive program, immersive. And, well, it just didn't work out the way that he expected it to, at least initially. But he wound up rolling into our class. And so that's him and his brother, and that's, that's where we met. But uh, the first, I'd say, 25 to 30 days, you, you, when I got there on day one, they said, just pick you a place. And I was in the woods, and I was like, what, what do you mean? And they said, oh, primitive shelters, you're, you'll be living in them. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And then they drove off. <laughs> and it was like two two days until class officially started. So, uh, But it was basically living in multiple different types of primitive shelters uh, for those 30 days in, a, in the woods, but a controlled environment because we were having class. We were learning every day, you know, from making a basket to purifying water, you name it. Um, and so at the end of that, uh, there were two phases that we had to go through, and uh, both of those were, were challenging. The first one was seven days in the Washtenaw Mountains with just a knife. And you had certain things, and he was, he was pretty smart how he set that up. Um, he wanted us to take our gear, but he had a system. You needed to prove that you could do everything with just a knife. And so uh, in order to get a water filter you had to process your water with a knife and whatever else you found in nature for three days and at the end of that third day you've already proved you don't need the water filter but we're going to be moving later until it makes sense uh, to get it and so uh same thing with like a headlamp and stuff but uh so you had to tote 
a big old heavy pack in you just didn't get to use anything for mm-hmm. depending on when you got that task completed you may never got to use it um some people there was one guy he didn't get a fire the whole this was mid-december it was getting pretty chilly out oh, there boy. and he didn't have a fire any of those nights I've, I've and so we're all kind of in the same area and spaced out 50 to 75 yards apart so that the instructors can come through and just make sure everybody's okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody's but sharing the fire. Exactly. We, we <laughs> could talk to each other, but we couldn't help each from other. You. And if you got caught helping somebody or sitting next to somebody else's fire, you was done. Yeah. You was, you was done, done. Done. Hey, See you later. Joe's got listeners around the world. Can you take a second and kind of describe the environment that you were yeah, in? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. I've always thought. And I think you and I have talked about this, Derek. Because you say washtar, we know what that right. is. That's right. right. So the the Ozarks in particular is a rough, rough place if you <laughs> ain't is. got nothing. Yes. And, and we're not talking about the Rocky Mountains, not mm-hmm. those type, much smaller mountains, but t- technically mountains. Really rough up and down terrain, um, thick woods, lots of briars. Not a lot uh, to eat. Not a lot to eat that time of year for sure. Not a lot of vegetation I mean, even our Native Americans shagged that's right i mean it was they didn't this was hunting grounds and then get out yeah Yeah. it it was it was tough uh i found some uh some winter huckleberries uh i caught a crawdad and ate it uh wound up i think i caught a fish and i killed a possum which was terrible (laughs) worst meal i've ever had little greasy (laughs) worst meal i ever had uh so after you completed that seven days then we would come back uh to the woods we were living in that was home and they, you know, taken us way out uh, from anything we were familiar with for that seven-day scout phase. And then we came back and we had, I don't remember if it was five or seven days of SEER, survive, escape, resist, and evade. Um, but it was a civilian version of SEER that uh, my understanding was that a, a former uh, Delta guy, and I used to know about his bio and stuff, had came to this program and helped develop. And so it wasn't to like uh crc or something in the military where um you spend significant amounts of time in captivity uh ours was just uh, 24 hours most of that was like learning how to do social engineering learning how to pick locks handcuffs get out of restraints um how to survive an interrogation uh those types of things and then there was a scenario where Basically, they lay a scenario, you're somewhere going on a, a, a hike, and basically you get kidnapped. And so, you know, your boots get taken, hood over your head, hood that's, you know, drenched in pepper spray, duct tape around your neck. So they were actually doing all this? Oh, yeah. That that thing. <laughs> that's a good not, buy, not, that $4,000. They, they, we, we knew what was coming. Like, we had, you know, trained for that, and we knew that we were going out to do this exercise. And the way that exercise got started off was with an AK being shot into the ground 25 yards up ahead of us or something like that. And so, uh, yep, took our boots, uh, hood over our heads, and then wound up handcuffed to a tree, getting beat and tased and interrogated and PT'd. And if you didn't do PT to standard, you get punched in the ribs with a taser. Uh, and so this goes on for a few hours. I don't know how long. Um, seemed like a really long time <laughs> going through it. Uh, and then at some point, the idea was if you were smart, you had hid some kind of tool on you to, to pick your handcuffs. Um, my problem was, I'm talking, I was blind. I had so much uh, 
pepper spray and my eyes and the hood was soaked in pepper spray and so they would just take like five ten minute intervals where they would go off to talk and they would give you small opportunities to try and you know basically pick your cuffs and escape and i'm telling you i must have tried for 20 minutes to pick those cuffs and i just I, i couldn't see i mean i was just blind and my buddy roy i'd made good friends with this guy he's from from spain he's originally a scottish guy but he lived in spain at the time I uh, came to do that program and, and <laughs> he he broke free from his and that dude came over and he I mean he as far as I was concerned he saved my bacon because he picked mine and it, I was I could it was to a point to where you know we were running through the woods and briars and stickers barefooted uh, and I, I couldn't see anything I was just having to hold on to his shoulder and, and follow him you know where he led so there was a bunch of guys who quit. Uh, before that you know you got all this time you you hear these stories about it's going to be painful and all this stuff and some of those guys man it just the mental block was just like they can't and they'd been they made it through that seven days was just a knife that was tough it was tough stuff Mm -hmm. and now we're at seer and they're like i'm done i just can't i can't do it i'm like you came so far (laughs) i had just i had left my career with the feds and so i had decided like i will either successfully complete this or i will die and like that's it that's the only options i have in my mind one way or the other good thing old roy was there good thing it's gonna be a a long day for matt i'm telling you did you go share the fire with him that night or (laughs) well we were done with that at that point matt that's something like uh you talk about those guys bailing out um i've not seen snowflake mountain although it's at the top of the list now um I have watched multiple episodes of Naked and Afraid. I, th- that whole premise of having nothing, not even a knife. Yeah. Well, actually, they do get a they couple, get a pot, things, a couple things. They get one item. The yeah, one yeah. thing that I've noticed in that show over and over no and over No one brings again, duct tape. No, that's not true. Oh. Yeah, they they bring it. duct tape. Yeah. yeah. Um, the men seem to start out mentally strong, mm-hmm. and then about halfway through, yeah. that woman's mental oh, toughness. fragile-looking women comes through oh there's all kinds and then you're just almost looking at the guys like are you kidding me pick it up man (laughs) come on is that something that you've noticed is that is that a is that a trait of men or or is that reality tv i've noticed it could be yeah i've noticed that on the show the same thing that you have but i also have talked to some people offline about that and we've actually done some consulting for that um joel has picked up a couple episodes down in florida uh going out and consulting um, I have heard rumors that there have been some episodes where they intentionally made it look that way. Right. Mm. I wasn't there, so, you know, that's right. hearsay. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I will say, to me, that's the mark of a good team. When I'm down, you're up. There you right. Go. And when you're down, I'm And I you do up, see a lot of know. that. Yeah. You very, see, very seldom do you see two of them that are just not going to make it right off the bat. Right. Or two of them are just gung-ho. There's usually one and one. That's right. And I think that's the setup of the reality show is to where they're going to go yin and yang every chance they get. The vegan and the and the and Navy Seal, or that's the tough women, living. I think man. the women got to be tat- got to have tattoos. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. We've been asked to do that show a couple times. I got no desire, like to be out there, just not having your layers of clothing to protect you. 
big. That's I mean, man, it's hard enough you surviving. Got to, you got to imagine old running through the briars with your old. I think you got to prep for this. You go two months to the tanning bed. <laughs> right? Yeah. Get you, some tan lines. No, you just smear mud all over you. <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm going to prep, because sunburn is a major, major yeah. deal oh, to these people. Oh, yeah. Bugs yeah. and sunburn. Yeah. And, and bugs. I've seen a lot of them quit just because of the bugs. And probably and take sleep. a six-pack of garlic uh vitamins every right. day to get get your old blood real mm. nasty yep. <laughs> and then walk out to the mailbox barefoot every day <laughs> on the ground on the ground oh, yeah. oh, yeah, throw legos up. across the hallway <laughs> yeah. as you walk across i remember it. growing up hell we didn't wear shoes i just run yeah. down the oh, road yeah but now you tender as hell ain't you i know i go i, I do I go i'm a tender foot i'm sure tender, boy that's the first thing i do is make shoes yeah. of some kind yeah. yeah otherwise i'd be just because it don't matter any time in life if your feet are tore <laughs> oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's bad. You ain't yeah. walking. Yeah. You know, day. typically if you're out there, uh, I I would think that the first thing you would do is make some garments. But obviously the show doesn't allow them to do well, that. Well, just out to save myself from embarrassment. Yeah, I'm gonna build a pair of underwear real quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything is like about that big. <laughs> yeah. trying to balance, right? Like I need food, but I need water, but I need shelter, but I need, it's like. There's a whole bunch you got to try and get done because if you, yeah. if you know anything about that show, it's that around day three, day four, you don't have any caloric input. Yeah. Forget just your body's getting tired, but 23 to 25% of the calories we take in are used to fuel our brain. Right. And so your cognitive processing power starts to go downhill yep. after that for sure. So wouldn't a good technique just be to find a shady spot? lay low for about three days i mean you're going seven days right it's 21 days is it 21 days yeah Yeah. what you're looking for is a small hairy rodent Uh, oh hey look there (laughs) (laughs) that's that's about a half a meal not a lot of meat on that one so but depends on where you're at too is it rainy there exactly i mean you get hypothermia and it'd be 70 degrees exactly well that, that show i naked and afraid was a huge hit right yeah People loved watching mm-hmm. it, um, and it seemed like nine times out of ten, somebody was gonna gonna make it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you, Joe. It was. It seemed like it was that hippie yeah. chick. She could. She could go mindset, on. baby. Yeah, and plus, mindset. She's used to not taking a shower. But <laughs> yeah, she's used to them dingleberries. She's got tea tree oil as one of her survival things. I mean, she's, she's used been to the, she's most a, of her life. She's used to them dingleberries front and back. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, one, it's one of those deals. But so, have those shows helped your guys' business? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't. It's, it's at least brought the idea of survival skills into the spotlight right. in modern america so it's positive in that way uh because even if only one percent of the people who watch that show think you know it wouldn't be a bad idea to just be a little bit more self-reliant mm, then right. i guess it's helpful in that way exactly um, so it's hard to quantify who who is the people that call and say matt i'd like to get into your class yeah. or, i mean is Man, it it's it is really uh diverse diverse yeah i mean i i get you know the the hippie crap because i teach plant medicine and that type of stuff so i get some of the hippie stuff i get some of the uh i'm going to hike the at next year and i want skills uh or all the way up to i think the lights might go off tomorrow and i might need to take care of myself and really kind of everywhere in between there 
And I, I know that because I ask everybody, every single class, tell me who you are, what you do, and I want to know what you do because you might do something. I can do business with you. You're doing business with me. I want to do business with my customers too. Mm-hmm. And then what brought you here? What made you decide this was the type of class you needed to take? How, how often are you surprised by your sitters, quitters, and getters? I mean, when... Like at the classes? Yeah. So at the class, whenever you see, say you had 10 people show up, are, are you eyeballing these people? Are you being judgmental? Are you saying, yeah, that, that looks like guy's going to... This guy could make it. He's that gonna, guy doesn't seem a chance. Not anymore. Yeah. I probably did back in the beginning, but uh, I know a positive mental attitude and a tough mindset trumps everything that's trumps what makes gear, a navy seal training yeah a it, will it's, to it's survive a hundred percent there's documented stories of you know 14 year old girl on a plane with a bunch of adults and the amazon crashes and she's the one last that walks week out. right current, current well, yeah, yeah. you just saw that with the yeah. three kids and yeah. one of them was under just turned a year old <laughs> yeah. and those kids was taken care of i mean like they don't, they don't know to just die i, you know? I what, sent that the to the guys who knows who knows the background of this story the story I sent plane, you There was I'd a plane crash. I had seen just it on the weekend. Yeah. Just a little bit. Bill, go ahead. Uh, apparently, they come from an indigenous background. Mm-hmm. And through their grandmother's uh, working or playing with them, they did survival games. And they survived. So That's these a, kids? But, yeah. I'm going to yeah. say it's an unfair advantage. But they were, <laughs> uh, from what I understand, uh, the oldest one yeah. was 13. The next was... Eleven. I thought there were four, and then there was a toddler. Yeah, them, yeah the and youngest they, one was like eleven they, months. I think and they survived forty days. Forty days, 40 days. in the Is that Amazon. How long it was? Yeah, and the in thing the about Amazon. it was they took off. People did show up at the plane crash. All the adults passed. Yeah, and they took off, and uh, so they eventually tracked them, and and I think they would forty found days them later. They would have, but, but that's about still. the whole nutshell. Then, well, I'll tell you, I'm a certified jungle survival instructor too. I've taught down in Central America, and that's a tough Jeez. place. Oh, Everything yeah. in that jungle wants to hurt down you, there, don't kill they? you. Yeah. <laughs> or eat you. they right? got some yeah. old spiders down there, don't they? Yeah, oh, they oh, do. Yeah. That'd be it's out. The, the, those snakes, though, those fertilants. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's they got jaguars. We had a jaguar come around our camp. I mean, those tape ears, the 600-pound, I mean, well, I can only imagine anything. like you were well, saying, that right? but that's all advanced. That's like, that. That's opportunities that as well. Yeah. That's that hippo. Remember that the wino scene in mm-hmm. Southwest City. Oh yeah, kind of that a big anteater looking thing. Yeah, right? remember you that know, story, sort of, Joe? Yeah. So the, the sidebar. Here we go. Let's <laughs> yeah, here we go. I was working for a guy, and he was really quiet, and he was usually really talkative, and he was talking about. He said, "We're like, what's wrong with you?" Man, I seen some shit last night. <laughs> well, he'd been drinking, and he wouldn't. Sh- I mean, he'd been drinking enough. He wouldn't sure if this is what he's seen. But I mean, after about an hour of us coaxing, he says, "I was crossing the bridge here in Southwest City, and a little old hippo ran across the road and dove in the water." <laughs> 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 and we all thought he was full of shit until yeah. they come out in the paper that one of them. Tapiers or whatever little, got yeah. out of Gentry Safari. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we had him convinced he, he just went on a bender and yeah. see some shit. But yeah, they so caught that little dude. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Same, same thing. My mother-in-law seen a kangaroo in her yard a few years ago at Pineville. 
And sure enough, there was a kangaroo that they caught. Just got loose. And they just thought she was crazy. Yeah. Kangaroo? I bet. Martina shot one of them dinosaurs one time deer hunting. Yeah. One of them old emus. Did you one? Did you hear Yeah. 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 What'd you, what'd you do with it? Oh, I just left it lay. Oh, man. That had to have some. <laughs> like it was just out in the wild? Like yeah. Wings well, on it. You know, they, they were so deal with the ostriches back in the day, you know, everybody was going to get yeah get rich, you know. And then, and same thing with the emirates, and they just turned them loose because you couldn't make any money. No, Hell, we, we wouldn't deer hunting. I was just driving around drinking and <laughs> seeing one out there. And yeah, I would have eaten it. I, the thing has to be it good. It was way right? out there. It was a good shot. <laughs> long I wasn't dragging that bastard back <laughs> from the hip, even boy. Yeah, I believe it. No, it was through the back back window. One of them extended cabs. I yeah. opened up about that far with a like long the pistol blind. Yeah, and you long, just shot the long, one in yeah. the middle, right? You no, said you were drinking. Yeah. I wasn't drunk. I was drinking. <laughs> it came together. So, so back to the the story about these three or four kids surviving in the jungle. That's wild. And you say you've trained in the jungle. Yeah. What's the survival skill that you maybe were weak on when you got to the jungle? Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of survival translates from one environment to the next, but you'll have really specific things like how you make friction fire in the jungle. Exactly. That's tough. Because everything's wet. Yeah. yeah. Bamboo fire saw, you got all that humidity. <clears throat> you better be strong, and everything you got has to go into making that. Um, but really, uh, that place, it'd be easy to get turned around. Oh, bad. And where we were was down near Panama and, uh, the Corcovota National Forest in, in Southern Costa Rica. And it's the most remote, remote natural, uh, jungle habitat that they have, uh, down there. And so, uh, that's it. Just watching where you put your hands every single time. I mean, there's, you know, like six inch long needles entirely right, cover a tree like you better yeah, pay attention like a to locust tree doing. like we have yeah here. except for yeah. way yeah. worse but same, same so 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 you make you mentioned building the fire so what what did you do different as far as building the fire when it's just that humid uh just the materials really. big lighter yeah big yeah. lighter if I, if I had it for sure <laughs> Uh, just the materials. I mean, you, it's like here. I mean, if you're going to build a fire from friction, you have to have dead dry wood, mm-hmm. dead dry bamboo. You got to find down there. But uh, it takes a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of speed to get that thing to cook off. And uh, I don't know. I've been, I'm pretty comfortable doing friction fire, uh, and it took me two or three times uh, to get that to cook off. It's pretty tough stuff. Uh, but you know they got different critters there that's probably what concerned me the most about being there um they got some snakes there that'll kill you i mean they, they're really bad and with the first time i went down there i've been down there a few times the first time i went down there was to get certified as an instructor and the guy who was leading that class we get to this super remote base camp in the jungle and he said i'm gonna tell you guys first two rules of the jungle you don't sleep on the ground ever and you don't go dicking around at nighttime. You you get in a hammock or an elevated shelter and you stay put until daylight. So I'm like, oh, okay, got that, lock that in. 
that night he's like okay you guys ready to go hunting the river I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on buddy we're breaking like rule number one right off the bat here like i don't know about this uh but there were two brothers who owned this little primitive camp and you know they lived there and what we would call a creek they were referring to as a river and i'm telling you those fertilant snakes especially the younger ones they'd be out on the creek bank uh hunting waiting night, for you. just waiting but those guys they'd see them 30 yards ahead how in the world? I don't They're know. They're used to them, I guess. But I mean, well, it's it's all or none. You better see them, you right? Know, or you're you're in real trouble. I would like to see Derek the the guy. You know, like this snake he's talking about. Whenever you look him up, they'll say they could kill ten thousand mice with one bite or whatever. Or men. <laughs> I'd like to see that dude who tests this stuff. Yeah. He's got that big old pile of mice over there. His hands probably look like a swollen arm. Hey, I tell you, uh, he's got them piled up, just counting. So years ago, I got an opportunity to go do a uh, plumbing project, construction project over in Brunei, which is in the island you of Borneo. You tell me okay. that story, you come over to my house on that. Yeah, yeah. So we got, uh, I had a guy. Um, from Halliburton, who we were doing the work for, comes up to me one day and he says, "Hey, do you want to go on this hash run?" And I don't even know what a hash run is, but I learned. I don't. I don't know if you know what a hash. I run would think is. hashish. Um, well, that's that's what I thought too. But apparently, back, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I asked you. That. Yeah, back in the day when the British military was all over the world, one of the things that they would do to to maintain fitness and do something on their off time is what they called a hash run. Oh. So they would have a hare who would run out and set the trail. And they would set that trail with either um, uh, uh, piles of flour or paper, white paper. And then you would get to a certain point and there'd be a pile of paper, a pile of flour. And then everybody would kind of, as the guys would run behind him the next day or whatever, uh, they would get to those piles and then they'd all have to disperse and find where the trail picked up. And then they would connect the dots for everybody behind them. Okay. And then at the end of it, you end up in a, a tent out in the middle of the jungle and, you know, have some beers and, and food oh, and stuff cool. and hang out. Yeah. So anyway, I got invited to go to one of these things. And I looked at the guy and I said, hey, I don't know if you can tell or not, but this body ain't really built for running. He's don't worry. It's a, it's a short run, 3K, 5K. You know, it's not a big deal. So anyway, we go and we start running through this jungle and that tree that you're describing with all the, yeah, the needle or the uh, spikes thorns. on it. Um, I was grabbing trees as I was running, and the guy told me the same thing. Do not touch anything out here in the jungle. Mm -hmm. And he showed me one of those trees. It's just unbelievable when you see it. But we get to a point where we're climbing up a very steep grade, and we're going through a bamboo grove to get to the top of this hill. And the guy turns around and looks at me, and he says, hey, this is where the cobra's hanging. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right in here. How yeah. convenient. Yeah, thanks for telling me now. With buddy. a smile on his face. Right, yeah, he, they don't care. It's not a big deal to them, but I'm, I've got a phobia of snakes. I'll let spiders crawl all over me. Oh, if I yeah. see a garter snake, I'm like a little girl. But we got through that and got down, and we were crossing uh, a creek what they called a river yeah. and it was chocolate milk colored water and all you can see right up upstream is that very familiar s pattern oh. that only one animal makes in that water and that's a snake yeah and he looks at me and he says well we you know we're chest deep we got oh, backpacks shit. over oh. our heads you know and he says yeah we probably ought to hurry up and i was like oh, yeah you're probably how right. did i get in the middle of this you know it's but, a hell of a story though oh it's, i got it's a similar one but Go ahead, Matt. Now, uh, just uh, we had decided it would be really cool to eat one of those fur lance snakes because they're really dangerous. Great story. <laughs> so they tried to <laughs> they, they tried to pin it with a forked stick, pin its head down. 
I would never do that. If it's a poisonous snake or venomous snake and I'm going to kill it, uh, it's going to be from a distance. I ain't getting close enough. Anyways, bigger out. it really pissed that snake off. Oh, I bet. And it was very aggressive. And it started to lancing up it, your leg. It took off, took off <laughs> in the water uh, that we had to cross, mm. right? And so uh, we wound up coming back across him on the way back, and he wasn't a very happy snake. And I see this snake, like it, it comes off into the water, and my, my buddy Ralph, he's, I don't know, probably 30 yards up in front of me, and I see the snake start swimming to, towards me. And as soon as I see that, I, was, I said something, and Ralph turned around, with his bright headlight right in my eyes, so now I can't see anything, much <laughs> less the fur lance that's coming towards me. <laughs> he, he may have got cussed out a little bit over that one, but, but we made it, you know, we, we caught some shrimp and made it out without anybody getting bit. But the last time I was down there, we had to, we had to evac. Uh, it, was, it was getting kind of hairy. It was the whole COVID thing. And I, I knew it was a possibility, uh, so my contact uh, down there, I basically uh, told him, hey, we'll still come with the students, but we need to have, like, a foolproof. We push a button, and dominoes start falling to get us out of that country. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a whole story in itself. That was a whole interesting, interesting experience. I've got a few skills on getting in and out of country during COVID. <laughs> yeah, well, sure does. Well, we were trying trying to get into Alaska oh. to go fishing. Whole other country. Whole, now, I mean, it's basically it another country. Yeah. And... Uh, the only way we could get in there, because they had that mandatory two-week deal. Oh, really? Like, once you like got there, Hawaii you had to stay deal? in your hotel for two oh, weeks. Okay. So we dressed up like Dr. Fauci and wore uh, medical scrubs and lab coats, <laughs> and they let us go wherever the hell we wanted. <laughs> Didn't so, you also make Facebook posts for two weeks yeah, that you were there? two weeks yeah. prior, I, I time-stamped that I was in Anchorage. <laughs> oh, nice. And I showed old pictures that I had on my phone. <laughs> yeah, shit worked, boy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what kind of skill you call that, Matt. But if you ever need me to come in, I mean, I'm cheap. That's clandestine, right there. That's so social engineering. I was actually, I was reading the news this weekend, and uh, you may not be training people for this yet, okay? But you probably need to start discussing how you're going to handle these killer whales, these orcas. I saw that video. They're a little where they take that boat. Hey, that one up, dude buddy. has been attacked twice, man. Wow, he's doing some bad shit. And these yep. whales have done sunk three sailboats. I'm kind of on their side. And they've got about 200 attacks. Are well, they pissed off one about of them the wind a, turbines? Or? No. Has anyone been eating? <laughs> no, so okay. what they... This is a this is a crazy deal. I y'all need not to, seen anything. You need to study this. You'll you'll trip Didn't out. Didn't she have that show on TV? Who's Orca, Orca Winfrey? Yeah, <laughs> 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 not the same one. So we uh, they feel like if you if you've ever watched these porpoises, dolphins, even the killer whales, they can learn stuff, right? right. They're they're pretty damn witty right whether it's blowing bubbles in a circle or pushing bait up on the bank right they're very smart Mm -hmm. so uh, these skills are learned kind of like your team or your or your tribe by the pod right so each pod may have a different skill set that they've learned from their elders Mm -hmm. and it's been taught so they feel like this one particular orca had been struck by a boat Mm -hmm. and didn't like it didn't like boats. <laughs> Didn't like boats. So what they're doing is this one whale has trained the rest of the pod to attack these boats, and they're 
particularly going to sailboats because on the bottom of the sailboat where that big keel is, yeah. oh, yeah. I can hit that. They're baby. going down to that and they're just attacking it to the point to where they fracture it and they've actually sunk three boats, these, these killer whales. So as I dig deeper into it in between that and Snowflake Mountain, I'm, where, where's this at? Where's this taking uh, This is off the coast of Africa. They have a little snack while they're at this South boats? coast of Africa. And so they feel like these uh, orcas, these individual pods, annually or biannually will have these meetups. Mm. Kind of like Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these whales, they'll, their pods will come together and maybe they learn a skill or maybe they come to battle it out over territory or whatever. But this is really far-fetched. But they feel like if they have one of these pod meetups and this old pissed-off whale says, hey, boys, I got it. Here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Call out a podcast. <laughs> this one particular whale could show them this skill and then you got yourself a problem and at that point you need to call the Japanese and say those orcas taste better than them blue whales dude if if those orcas have a chance to convince the great whites we're all nah them orcas eat the great whites I know Mm -hmm. but like you never do their bidding for them are there are people dying from this deal no one's died yet but they actually I mean they've got videos of these things coming out of the water and like crashing on the bow and yeah and of course this is media driven so it may have been one whale swam way too close to something well you're starting to see i'm starting to see more videos of like blue whales swallowing up those kayakers i did see that <laughs> or it just spit them right jumping out jumping on that boats. one dude went all the way in the stomach yeah noah that yeah. one dude got in the mouth. I thought it was Pinocchio. <laughs> Y'all can then, keep that. The ocean, like it, it's, it's so too you don't, powerful. You for don't me. have. I don't a want no part ocean of survival. Hard class. survival. We do. Joel teaches that. Joel was a EOD guy on the SEAL teams, and uh, so he he teach the. In fact, he he's taught those courses and has a pretty cool video out there um, about. You know, being lost at sea and survival—that's rough. That'd be terrible. Forget that. I've never been lost, but I I was Mike confused for about two days. (laughs) Did you say two years? Two days. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So we're moving forward. And we. uh, So what do you do? Say you're in that plane wreck. Everybody else didn't survive, or you're the only one. Whatever. What's your first move? It's noon when you wreck, and. You're scrounging around, price sap, salvaging what you can from the plane wreck or whatever situation you're in, and then I'm eating somebody's butt it, cheek. Is it <laughs> is it food, water, or fire, or shelter? What's uh, your first move? First thing expert? is uh, scavenge. Yeah, and in that scavenging process, see if I can uh, find radio that is working so yeah. that I can get saved because mm-hmm. I don't want to have to. Survival is hard and it yeah. sucks. Yeah. Um, so that's my first uh, priority is can I find a radio that's working and can I send out an SOS? Uh, and then what kind of resources can I find? So that probably I make a decision, uh, st- stay there. Because they're going to look for the plane. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. That's going to be the easiest thing to find. Um, so, but the question is, that's the big question is when do you go? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's an instinct driven thing. And I can't tell you a hundred percent right answer. Um, that was a question getting out of uh, Costa Rica when everything started going crazy. We were there to do an 11-day course, and day five, 
I saw enough and had had to go stand in a river to get cell signal, but um, through contacts and things back home, I just made it say it's time it's time for us to go. There and go. so it's a good thing we did. Uh, now, you know, hindsight being what it is, but two day if we would have stayed that entire eleven days, two days before we were supposed to come home, they shut down any traffic coming in and out of that country and there yeah. are people that got stuck there for two or three months. So I'm gonna err on the side of caution. Yeah. Exactly. It depends on like am I running out of resources? I'll stay there until I'm getting low on resources mm-hmm. and probably then make a decision. But then like is there dead bodies that I'm having to deal with? I need yeah. to you know, dispose get them. Do I want to stay close to them if there's wild animals there and that's gonna be attracting critters that might want to eat me. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of things yeah. to that to So if you've got process. no resources is it food, shelter, water? So we got the, the rules three, of three. Um, so the general rule is we can go about three minutes without air. We can go about three hours in inclement weather without shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go three days roughly without water and three weeks without food. So those situation always dictates, but that kind of lays out where our priorities are as a general rule. Okay. Um, so. Right start looking at shelter first yeah uh and fire might be my shelter if there's not precipitation um but if there's shelter already there water might be my first problem Mm -hmm. and the environment will dictate you know how critical that becomes but rule uh, three yep i just watched that show you made comment about eating their butt cheek yeah i just watched that a couple of weeks ago was they a soccer team? Uh, yeah, isn't there a new documentary or something? I do, that's the that? one I watched, I and it was that. pretty. It was pretty interesting. They and that was one of their big. Yeah, you they, don't know about they they each other in the Andes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They were, they, where have I been? I don't know. I've never heard <laughs> of it. It's like, like 1987. Uh, yeah, the movie was oh, called it was way Lost, back. right? Yeah, was it? Well, Lost? there's a new deal yeah. documentary that I just watched, and and like I say, they stayed there forever, and then finally, when they did decide. Uh, two or three of them they weren't they very the, far they went the wrong way though at first that's right mm, yep. yeah but yeah they were eating each and then like a few days in they got hit with a damn avalanche yep Gosh. and killed some more of them i mean it was crazy just they, more food they, they, yeah. if, I'm, if i'm dead eat me yeah, yeah, yeah i'm the same way if i'm dead and gone that's that's just a vessel eat it what yep. primal are you going for first what what or what cut uh, probably a leg I think they started with the ass cheek. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, they they started. A little bit of fat in there. We need the fat to survive. You think the back straps are any good? Nah. I don't know. A little grainy. Who it is. A little grainy. I mean, Martinez commented (laughs) when we were skinning those bears a couple weeks ago how them bears looked a lot like humans when they got skinned out. I sure do. Based off of the bear scenario, yeah, the ham is where you're going to want to go. We had some old hams that time. Yeah. We went fishing. About two years ago, there's there's an event here in Northwest Arkansas called the Bruja Bushwhack. I don't know if yeah, you're familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great Rick, event. Rick Spicer. Yeah, that's right. Puts that on. Good Wonderful guy. guy. Yeah. Super guy. So uh, a couple of years ago, we competed in it for our fourth year in a row. Very cool. And it's me and a bunch of other old fat guys, you know, so we <laughs> we come in about middle of the pack. We're pretty good at the survival stuff, so right. we score high on that. But every year you gotta. Every time you stop, you gotta say what kind of tree and what kind of plant it is. Right. None of us know any of that, yeah. nor do we care much about it. So we don't get any points for that. But there was a lady out there um, who was casting for a loan, mm-hmm. and she approached me and gave me a little deal. And then I ended up doing two phone interviews with her, and it got to the point where it was like time to go to New York or or get off. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
unfortunately my job wouldn't allow me to leave for two three four months at a time and then come back so i wasn't able to um participate in that however she did say that guys that are built mm -hmm. like we are tend to do much better than the old Aaron out there. You, you bet, know, the old yeah. lean, mean, yeah. stored fat. Aaron machine over there. You yeah, got stored body fat. Yeah. Talk about the advantage of us being chubby. There you go. That's, <laughs> well, where they, that's exactly where I was going, Joe. You, you can be a little bit chubby and still have decent cardio. Yep. You, you can. Um, that's that, that's the downside of being chubby is that then you also have compounding health problems, right, if you get just plum <laughs> obese. But in that scenario, I mean, obviously you have fat stores. And side note, I know quite a few people uh, who've been on a loan. A couple of my buddies have won. Um, that is pretty hardcore. That's uh, hardcore. Starvation. Yeah, they, they'll lose, they they'll lose a lot of weight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and 30, 40 pounds. Yeah, they pulled a guy one year. Um, he had all this fish stored up. Yep. But he was controlling how much he ate and this and that. And, the, and you know, they come in on a bi-weekly physical yeah. checkup, okay, to check on these guys because, you know, some of those guys are like – our buddy matt here and it's like we're either going to survive or die mm -hmm. and so they he come every two weeks and do a physical check to make sure that you're not dying and this guy had lost so much of his mass that they said hey we got to pull you and he's like no 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 i've look at all this food that i have and they said yeah but you've lost x percentage of your body weight so we got to pull you and he said i will eat every fish tonight i'll eat every bit of this food you got to leave me you got to leave me and they wouldn't leave me. Oh, so there's a, bullshit there's quite a oh. rehab after these shows Probably yeah, be. yeah. Because uh, I mean, some of those guys, for sure, you can't just jump back in the real, real world, and go eat mojitos and bunch of <laughs> chips and everything. <laughs> well, well, you, can. you can, you can. Oh, go well. Get you yeah. a six pack of Big Macs. But I think Ooh. once they pull them, they put them through like three to five days of reintegrating food to their Nutrition. body and not just letting them go pound hamburgers and yeah. whatever, and you know make them themselves sick. I might give you the diarrhea. Let's do this. Bill, you brought in a book from Billy Joe. Billy Joe Tatum. Not, not Shaver, but Tatum. And what circus What circus is this book? Well, it's, it's Circus uh, 1976. That's been a minute. <laughs> what was the number one song in 1976, just off the hit? Well, uh, the one I was listening to was called uh, uh, CB Night. CB, are you familiar, yeah. Joe? I think the number one hit in 76 would have been the Bellamy Brothers. Well, well this one goes, uh, he's old, worn, and wrangled. His hair's kind of tangled. He's grinning and toothless. He's pretty near useless. He's a real-life satyr day, night. Okay. Whoa. But, you know, he's out <laughs> on a limb. That was he lives, legit. He lives on the rim. I would have said love. And when he ain't out of it. He don't care a bit. <laughs> sitting aloft. You didn't know what you were sitting his by. Head mu his head must be soft. He's an ex-Christian scientist, a reformed pinknit. What's a pinknit? That's someone that was a commie. Just above okay. beatnik. It's a commie, you know, pinknit and yeah, pink. Okay. Well, anyway, no, this is Billy Joe Tatum, and the reason <laughs> I go off on that is honor of Frank Wood, the guy that wrote that, was did the Razorback. But Billy Joe uh, wrote a – it's my survival cookbook because I live here – or field guide because it's got how you can do it in Arkansas and – find enough to eat and things you can cook with it and it's real simple and fun she, she was a wonderful lady she wore a black buzzard feather in her hair and had a long ponytail and she got yeah, on to johnny carson show and messed him up with a corn pop cob pipe looking at in the 70s you know that's uh, uh that's our kind great. of people bill 
Yeah, and, and all the illustrations in there are like the Peterson's Field Guide quality because the guy that did it. That's that plantain right there, ain't it? There it is. So oh, there's one too. I actually, I was in the green room earlier, I was mentioning that I had a mistake here a while back. Oh, yeah, let's hear about this. So I'm anxious to hear I'm, that. I'm a big fan of foraging, whether okay. it's out there chasing some mushrooms picking some berries i'll eat i'm I'm not ashamed to eat a dandelion Mm -hmm. big fan of a wild onion well i'd been looking at them whirly birds on the maple tree studying them and uh i went picked one of them green and pulled out that little old seed and ate it and it wasn't real bad so i could a little bit better It, it, it now did you just like see this seed pod and say I think I'll try that, or do you heard somebody eating it before? No, Matt, that's exactly what happened. That's a terrible idea. I looked at it. No, not really the best. <laughs> that's terrible. Everybody listening, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. And so, Matt, what I did was is I took advantage that there was a mass crop, hmm. and I picked an entire Walmart sack of them whirly birds, and I set. Did you pick I, them or just hold it up and let it fill up? No, they weren't whirling. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were green, so they were pre-whirly. Okay. And I sat there and I pinched out them old seeds out of literally six, seven hundred. Had a lot of time on your hands. And so I got them all laid out and I decide I'm going to make whirly bird brittle. Okay. (laughs) So I took half of my stash and I roasted it. And the other half I thought, well, I'm just going to go green. (laughs) So I made up the brittle. I added in the whirly like, bird. Like peanut brittle? Yeah. Like, okay. Whirly bird brittle. Okay. Pretty common. I think Billy Joe's got that on Section 12, okay. Article twi- Article 3. All right. Well, Red she, words. She tells you what you can find by season, and, yeah. and I, then it breaks it out in some recipes for them. And Well, I thought I was on to a new sensation. And so I made the brittle, and I got tired, so I went to sleep. I woke up in the morning, I cracked the brittle bit into it and i thought boy that is god awful <laughs> that's horrible so it tasted different after you roasted it yeah man they just they just weren't good and and so i made a little I mean, what it tastes like like buttholes or nine volt batteries, nine volt batteries. <laughs> and so i uh i made a little sandwich bag and i took it to work and i let my partner i said hey taste this this is those whirly birds i peeled and he ate spent six hours peeling. And he says, boy, that's horrible. He said, it even smells bad. I got home and half that shit was eaten. Oh, Clem. <laughs> <laughs> he ate her up. He, he ate it. He said, Dad, what is that? Said, uh, whirly birds. And, oh, gosh. Yeah, he, he never did. experienced a nine-volt battery deal, so he didn't, he know didn't what seem he to mind it. So, Thank you, Pop. <laughs> he, he, I mean, I think he finished it. But like, how'd you know they weren't poisonous? I well, I didn't. That's what he was about I, to say. Yeah, I, 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 I just left it out there where my children could eat it. He didn't <laughs> die before Clem got home. I did. Well, because here's the deal. I think around us, we've all been taught since we were kids, like pokeberries, right? They say, oh, don't eat them pokeberries. You'll die. Until Larry, until Larry Bohall brought us a damn jar of poke belt. No, poke elderberry. No, he brought. Yes. Elderberry is what he's made. He did, but he also brought. He may not have dropped one off to you. We could call it. I was going to say, I never had no pokeberry. He brought the pokeberry jam to the house, and he said, I, I made you this. I said, what is it? He says, it's made out of pokeberries. I said, it'll kill you. He says, no, the human tooth isn't strong enough 
to crack the seed, and the seed holds the poison. I said, how you know how tough my teeth are? <laughs> he says, this is a true deal. Never heard of it. Have, can you eat I've, pokeberries? Well, I've, I've heard of people eating them, but what they'd do is they'd take a real fine screen, and they would press the berry down into it so that the seed didn't Because the seed it. holds the poison? Yeah, but well, my, a bunch of the plants. Larry Bohall, cornbread, we call him. He'll go ahead and tell you <laughs> your tooth ain't strong enough to crack that seed, so you can go ahead and eat it. Mm, but you just put them out. <laughs> I don't know. It's rough. What about the acid in your stomach? Will it not break it down? He didn't say nothing. Don't about swallow that. it. So, yeah. well, it will on Eat some. it. Just don't swallow it. Eat around it. So, I seen that where Allen's Cannery at one point actually sold poke greens. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, the traditional way that I've always heard on poke was you got to boil it three times, drain the water, drain mm-hmm. the water, drain the water, because it was super high in vitamin A. Uh, I'm not sure what the, some toxin that's in it. Yeah, that so you. this vitamin A will kill you. <laughs> See, I always Whatever heard it, it was just, you had to get them while they were a young plant, right? Yeah, the idea, I've heard both, but traditionally I've heard you want to harvest them in the spring when they're a foot to a foot and a half tall. Right, exactly. You don't want anything to do with them once they start turning purple. But right. I've also heard of people that would just, you know, pick the leaves. Just the greens, And then they yeah. would do, mm-hmm. you know, three boils, and then they would be fine. But I haven't had the ones, you know, in late summer. Hand, well, hand the old Billy no, Joe. Why? Hand the old Billy Joe over to our <laughs> reference here, man. Of here's what I always... Some son of a bitch just did it twice, and they died. Aaron, yeah, so they Bill, were, no, I, <laughs> that's what I always wondered. Who decided? <laughs> I know, but why? Uh, my friend died. Let me see if I boil it one I'll time. I'll do it one, one more time. time. Yeah. yeah, and then get deathly sick. And well, why, if I boil it again? Because you're hungry. Starving, you know. God, hey, poor people got poor ways. Yeah, that's you know. So right they, they they say you know, early early springtime was the time of starvation in lots of places because stuff you've made it through yeah. and stuff just ain't quite up yet. So you whatever bet. is up first is what you're gonna try and eat. You know. So damn, I, I mentioned to you this magic weed, the mullen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's in my top five. That's awesome. Five. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Now, What's now, a mullen look like? Mullen's the stuff you used to wipe your crack with it's whenever you're fluffies. out in the woods. It's real fluffy up on the oh, leaves. I thought that was a lamb's ear. I call it very similar. similar. Yeah. Is it similar? Yeah. Similar. I've been paying attention. A lot of this stuff that we have here, like the mullen, isn't even a native plant to, to North America. It was Plantain. brought over here. There's a lot like of kudzu. these... Kutsu. There's a lot of these things that the Europeans brought over to our country, and they they thrived. They took right. over, like the honeybee. That's what I was <laughs> like the honeybee. That yeah, ain't like native either. Really? No, honeybees. Honeybees ain't native. Are you serious? I did not know. There's that. other bees. Either. There's other bees that were doing the pollination, but whenever the Europeans came over and brought all their pretty flowers and their crops, the only thing they would pollinate it was their traditional honeybee. Hmm. So they brought their honeybees over here. And they took off and become our majority bee and actually killed off a lot of our bees. Really? That's what I was going to say. They killed our... Yeah. And so for the last 20 years, whenever all we've heard is save the bee, well, that's some bitch. He crossed the border. (laughs) Well, they got good honey, though. (laughs) I love that honey. He ain't even from here. But so (laughs) Mullen made your top five. Yep. And the reason is? Uh, Because it's really, really effective at anything respiratory. Um, upper respiratory infections, bronchitis, it's an expectorant. Um, it can also be used as a wound healer. Uh, the leaf can be used as a bandage. I mean, there's lots of things. The stalk, once it dries out, makes a really good hand drill. Um, list goes on. It's got a whole bunch of uses. Uh, and there's a bunch of that 
type of stuff that when I teach the the plant classes and we go around and I'm identifying this plant is this and this is the way that either I've used it or historically it's been used in traditional medicine um, I've got a, a whole stack of handwritten index cards because some of those plants are known to do 10 different things and right. I don't I don't want to forget I wish I had the storage capacity up exactly top. That's, that's I so just funny. don't so I'll rattle off everything I can remember about it and then I'll go to my card because there's there's just so much and when i've got 70 80 cards in my hand i ain't remembering 10 things for each so what does mullen look like so mullen is a broad leaf you've you've seen and it's it's almost metallic on the top silverish from the little bristles if you take a dozer to a field it'll be the first thing that grows in that field yep yep and they take off So you say it's kind of like a lamb's ear yeah so what did you do with Mullen, Joe? Well, two, I guess it was two I mean, years. it's good toilet paper. Hell, I married one. <laughs> That's my first wife's. Two years ago, I was cooking a pot of gumbo, and uh, I'm stirring the gumbo, and then all of a sudden, I can't smell the gumbo. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, shit, I got the COVIDs. Mm. And then I go for a taste of the gumbo. Ain't no gumbo there. Mm. Yep. And so jumpsuit jamie from the jumpsuit jamie and can't wait to play boys mm-hmm. uh i called jumpsuit and i said yep, yep that's a mature version of it that's with the stem so i called jumpsuit because his wife is into this herbal stuff and i said hey what's the cure for for the no smell no taste he said i done cured six people this week he says <laughs> i've got the stuff <laughs> i said what is it he said it's mullen I said, I got that shit growing in the yard. And so I went out to the yard. I picked me a mullen. I got like six big leaves. Went to the jerky dehydrator, put them inside there, and I got them nice to where they they could burn a little bit. Went over, grabbed the dog bowl, (laughs) dried it out, put the mullen leaves inside the dog bowl, and just like a Native American, I took my big old bandana, covered my head and i inhaled the burning mullen mm-hmm. i did this about every hour on the hour and the first two times i snorted this mullen smoke didn't burn my nostrils nothing i knew there was smoke in there but it didn't do anything about the third time i felt a little burn in my nostrils nice in eight hours of every hour going <laughs> out there mullen. and smoking this mullen <laughs> By the end of the eight hours, I could smell the smoke, and I could taste the smoke. You're back. Two interesting. Th- Go ahead, finish. Well, and we need to try it on me. I can't. I ain't done that. In I work, but the the thing was is whenever I got my taste of um, my sense of taste back, mm-hmm. anything with vinegar in it was vinegar times a hundred. Mm. Right. Like ketchup. Super taster. <laughs> yeah. Ketchup was times a hundred, and like barbecue sauce. Vinegar could have been the seventh or eighth ingredient in there. The only thing I tasted was really? vinegar. So did that kind of go away? Three, four days it was gone. But since then, because I'm a medicine man when it comes to that mullen, mm-hmm. people would call, hey, what was that stuff that you used? Oh, man, that's old ditch weed, that old mullen. <laughs> yeah. You just take it. But I, And you say you smoked it? I, or just That's built what I did, with, man. Just let and it dry out and burn it. And I dried it out in the, in the dehydrator. I got a nice little smoke. And then I just inhaled the smoke. But I'd read, you know, just like you said, respiratory stuff. And mm-hmm. hell, if you go through, I mean, it'll. How about the old? 
I don't know about that, but, that. I, <laughs> but I know it said that somehow it could even help your old hemorrhoids. I mean, it, did it, you rub it, it on your butthole? I didn't. I, don't, I mean, if you're wiping with it and it's got the, <laughs> you should just went. Well, you're already doing right. Plant cells are exposed. You're applying medicine, right? To it. You're right. But interesting thing, um, when it comes to plant medicine, if you can get the what we call uh, the ingredients that make up a plant. Um, if you can get that to the actual affected tissue, whether it's a cut uh, or it's your lungs or whatever, um, you could have taken a tea, you could have taken a tincture, and that would have still processed through your body. But by smoking that, you were taking the oil particulates that mm-hmm. have that medicine mm-hmm. uh, and putting basically putting them right onto your lung tissue because you were inhaling it. And sticking them in my nose and my throat yeah. and every place that was affected by this deal. Yeah. I got lucky. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm always really, you know, when I talk about plant medicine stuff, uh, you know, I'm not, nobody's trying to sell snake oil. I just tell people, my, like, exactly like you did, this was my experience. Right. I can't promise that it'll be yours, but they use this for thousands of years before there was a pharmacy available. Yeah, right. And, and it's, uh, most things in nature, some people have sensitivities to certain right. things, but most of those herbal medicines, people have really good tolerances for and and, and the truth is is the pharmaceutical companies grab a hold of herbal medicines and turn them into a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. right martinez where does aspirin come from aspirin tree yeah aspirin. gosh i feel like i should know this i don't know walmart <laughs> bill bear come from willows right come from willows, willows. Yeah. what's the aspirin tree did i just make it up i heard uh, that well, Asp- Colorado. No, that, that's an aspen <laughs> Oh, I, know I had literally heard yeah. that one time. It might be a willow tree. It, it is a willow. It, is a willow. it has salicin, ding, 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 and our bam. bodies break that down to salicylic acid. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. In fact, here's a neat story. Before they understood all that, people were feeling bad. They would tell them, go sit by the creek what? and make a basket. And what they were making baskets out oh, of was willows. They didn't understand mm. they're breaking that up and it's soaking Cured into their, their skin. Headache. There you go. So damn it! The, There's God, lots of different types of willows. So what's the so one plant? What's the one plant deal that you have done that literally worked the best? Ayahuasca uh, on a cut <laughs> and on, on burns. On, on, okay. Uh, on both of those two things, what I use most commonly is it's pronounced technically plantain, but it's spelled plantain. plantain. It is not the banana-looking thing. It is uh, a leafy. Uh, that's in your yard. That's probably in your yard and a plant called yarrow. And we were doing that seven days in the mountains. One of the guys cut his finger, I mean, from his top knuckle down to the end of his finger, and it laid it open. He needed stitches. Uh, But we weren't getting out. We were miles in, we weren't getting out. But we had made, we had dried some of those herbs and made a wound powder. And we uh, packed that uh, yarrow and plantain dried leaf that was crushed up into that wound, wrapped paracord lightly around it, not not tight enough to cut circulation, but just so it would hold it in Hold place. it together, yeah. Three days, that wound was completely sealed and healed. Zero redness, zero sign of infection. The original Neosporin. Antibacteria, wow. all that stuff. And then my experience has been uh, the plantain. You want to talk about, well, just two weeks ago, I was uh, teaching a survival class. Got up that morning and made myself a pot of coffee, just like one of those French presses in in the fire, you know. Mm -hmm. And I put put on my glove, but it set a little too far and got the the handle hot. And I was uh, too proud to drop my coffee, and so I held on to it. And I'm telling you, I burned the dog out of my 
my finger. And first thing I did, went over, grabbed some plantain, chopped it up, uh, basically macerated and, and got those cell walls ex- uh, opened up so the constituents could come out. Put that on my finger, 15 seconds. Pain went, it was, it was hurting. It's a went from a 10 down to a one. Wow. And I was okay. good the rest of the day. Wow. So uh, and, I've, I've and, done that multiple times with myself and other people. I ain't saying it cures cancer, but I can tell you this, it sure helps oh. a, a burn. Okay, so what was that? What was that one? Plantain. 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 Yeah. So There's a bunch of different types of plantain, but uh, black seed or brown seed plantain or narrow leaf plantain. What was that deal? What about the turkey tail? Yeah. Uh, I haven't messed with uh, Now, I tell people this. I'm not a mushroom guy. All mushrooms are edible at least once. Some do cause permanent sleep. So, but I'm not a mushroom expert. I, I've I've heard great things about turkey tail, uh, lion's mane. Appreciate some of those mm-hmm. being really, really, really good. But I haven't messed with them. So there's a. It, it, it's it kind of looked like a turkey tail, that the Inuits of Alaska use, but it's. But it's real velvety, almost like a, a donkey's nose, right? Just hmm. it's it's got little short, smooth, velvety surface on there. And my old buddy Tuck, the the Inuit, mm-hmm. he brought me this damn fungus. It's, and it's hard as a rock, man. It's 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 more wood than it is mushroom. And what they do, you'll like this because you you chew the same stuff I hmm. chew them Inuits take this mushroom and they burn it to an ash and then they take this ash and mix it with their tobacco. Oh. They call it Eskimo tobacco is what they call it. And it's... How long you been chewing that old nasty tobacco? Long time. Oh, me too. Uh, it's horrible. Ain't it? But I love since it. Since I was a youngster. <laughs> yeah, it is bad. But but they, he says, you burn this, put a little bit of it in your tobacco. And he said, it'll be like the first time you chewed tobacco. I said, I don't ever want to feel that way again. <laughs> well, my, my understanding is, you know, a lot of the Native American tribes, that they had a blend of different herbs for their tobacco. And my understanding is most of them, mullein was one of the uh, really? pl- plants that was mixed into their tobacco blend. I'm telling y'all, oh. man, there is more stuff. and, and So fascinating. Yeah, there's more stuff. Yeah, I mean, this, that's interesting, all the... This plantain that he's talking about, there's two, right? There's a narrow and a broad. There's a bunch. I've discovered a bunch uh, just in the past month. But do they all basically do the same thing, or is there some of them that well, kill you? Well, th- I, I don't know of, I don't know because there's okay. a lot of varieties of it. The ones that I know about are just fine. Um, the the most common ones I, I've seen here is uh, brown seed and black seed, and they look very similar. There's a narrow leaf, and I came across one called uh, Virginia plantain that. Looked like the others, except for it had fine hairs on it. What do you think <laughs> about pawpaws? Paws. You know what? I've never Put had them in one. your pocket. Have you never I've had never, a pawpaw? I want one. Uh, in fact, I bought a pawpaw tree to plant. And I, I don't even know it. what it is, but I remember that song. And Thinking then I pawpaws. found out you need two of them in order for you to get uh, fruit. Yep. So, uh, Aaron, you ever had a pawpaw? I have not. So, September is about pawpaw time when mm-hmm. they're nice and ripe. And it's kind of an Ozark banana. That's what I've heard. My neighbor's a big fan. He's yeah. got several you never had pawpaw, too? Never had. He always shares so, them with us. Uh, a pawpaw tree is pretty distinctive. You'll know it's a pawpaw tree when you see it. It's got a shiny leaf, pretty broad, wow. big leaf on, okay. on the tree. And those pawpaws are as sweet, 
good tasting kind of texture almost of banana make hell of good bread pawpaw bread or pawpaw cookies are right there with you but the reason why i'm saying this is the ozarks to me and i know to derek we've, we've discussed in the past would be just a treacherous place in the in the winter time oh yeah um it is because when you when we walk in the woods whether it's deer season or what you know everything has fallen off there may be some old rugged nasty persimmons just barely hanging on or laying on the ground but your fruit's kind of gone the fish kind of take off in the winter time in the ozarks they're hiding in places because that you know the water's cold there ain't no leaves on the trees they ain't got no place to hide Mm -hmm. um and you're really not going to run up and catch a deer no Hmm. so if you think about how rough that would be just ozark living mine would be the desert man yeah i when i look at a desert i see death i got an interesting statistic for you about the ozarks and and deer uh so if the lights went out i did some looking it didn't take me very long took me about 20 30 minutes to gather the information go to arkansas fish and game website and you look at deer habitat and if every single square inch of this state was prime habitat, then we could assume that there would be roughly 300,000 white-tailed deer in the state of Arkansas. There's three-plus million people here, so there's one-tenth of a deer for every person. One uh, day's worth of food. And people talk about, well, I can hunt and fish and run a trot line. I'm like, uh, all the person needs a 22 and a flashlight, and they're an expert hunter at night. You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, you, I mean. Yeah, I don't buy into that whole deal when you talk to somebody and they say, oh, hell, I'd be all right. Oh, I could shoot them deer. And, yeah. <laughs> so how, how many pounds of salt you got in your shed? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, yep. and so <laughs> let's break into that. I mean, salt's a critical thing to stay alive. Critical. Uh, they paid Roman soldiers in salt. And, right? yeah. I There's mean, wars over salt. Salt's, yeah. salts, if you're looking to stash something, this is my opinion, I ain't Matt, but if you're looking to stash a big quantity of something out in your shop, boy, put you a couple hundred pounds of salt out there. Yeah. Because, I got a trick for you about that. And I'm, I want to listen, and you could dive in deeper to this, but when that freezer goes out, Mm-hmm. And if the power was going to be off for an extended period of time, you could take that meat in the freezer, unwrap it, pour your salt over the top of it, and you're going to survive on some meat. Yeah. But without that salt, you're instantly going into the rotting of that meat, and hell, mm-hmm. it could hurt you. So a simple way that's been going on for thousands of years was for us to salt our meat. Here in the South, we figured out you mix that salt with some sugar and you're going to have a pretty good country style ham yeah but talk to us about salt well you're not going to get it in those kind of quantities and i haven't done this just because i don't want to i love hickory trees and i don't like taking them down but i've done lots of research on hickory trees and if you were to take the roots of a hickory boil it um macerate it mash those roots up uh boil it once it's boiled for a while pull those out and then you just boil the rest of that water off which you wind up with and the bottom of that pot is a blackish colored solid that's a salt i'll be hmm. damned no kidding so, mm-hmm. yeah and that's i'm telling you that's Hickory what i've salt. read matt's never you know done that let's give it but a shot I've, I've read it to make it some <laughs> hickory salt boy. Yeah. that sounds awesome so, you know what we did is uh, a couple years ago we took the the uh, shag bark hickory mm-hmm. and we peeled the shag bark off of the hickory 
And he I, says we. This was just Joe. Joe and a mouse in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so we take that shag bark, and I burned it a little bit, get the bugs off of it, and whatnot. And I boiled the living hell out of this, and uh, I made a tea out of the shag bark. That doesn't taste. And then like like it. Brittle. No, this stuff we got a. We've got some inside here. We do. I'll go get it. Fetch it. I'll go get it. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Hey, I boiled this shag bark, and then I made a simple syrup. Yeah. Okay. So equal quantity, whatever water was in there. This is after I kind of filtered it out, cleaned it up. I added equal parts water, reduced it down. Aaron will bring it, and it made the best damn syrup. Yes. You, to make an old-fashioned or oh, to... Oh, man. So you said equal part of sugar and equal part of water, is that what you said? Yeah, so whatever, whenever you boil that bark down mm -hmm. and you made your tea, okay, clear that water up of yeah. any debris, and then whatever stand of water in there, you know, a simple syrup is 50% water, 50% sugar, right? and then you can continue to render that until you get to the consistency, oh, the thickness that you're after. Okay. But Michael Cormier made his bacon using... There it is right there. Yeah. Delicious. Mine did not last. Yeah, mine did not last. Matt, try that. If you start wiggling a lot, we'll know it killed you. He's got strong grip. Give it a sniff. Let's see here. It's syrupy. Hell yeah. Hey, that smells good. It was good. It smells really good. Raise that old finger across there. Give Martinez a hit of that. It was good. All right, I'm sold. That's good. Yeah. I mean, what does That's it taste really like? Is it like taste it? It's like syrup. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, man. So, Matt, you're talking about the fact that, like, one, you're not going to be able to purchase mass amounts of salt. Two, if, you, if, if that's not available, you can go with the hickory bark. I don't know how much hickory we got around hickory here. Hickory roots. Roots. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about cold smoking? Is that, like, your third option, maybe? Yeah, I've done cold smoking before. Um, you're you're certainly not going to get the life out of the meat you're going to if you okay. salt it. Well, uh, like what? Well, I've I've read a differing opinion. Here's here's what I've been taught. Okay, is if you cold smoke something thirty to forty five days is what you're going to get out of it. Okay. Now, I haven't tried it beyond that, so maybe. But here's the thing: if if my family's hungry and we're starving, we're going to try. It, well whatever. beyond that right. you know whatever it is right. but that's what I, what have you heard well i've read that if you can smoke a fish fillet uh under 80 degrees for two weeks two years later you can pick it off the shelf and eat it mm. oh continuous smoking for two weeks for two weeks okay, okay. cold smoke yeah, for yeah. two weeks okay. under 80 80 degrees or lower okay. uh mm. two years later you can pick it off the shelf and, and i'm gonna say now is that just fish or red meat too? All I read was fish, okay. so I don't want to say I'm, that it's I, red meat. As but well. I also think you're either going to need salt or sugar, because all of the native cold smoked fish is highly salted, highly sugared. Yeah. They make squaw candy, right. right? Joe, you've had squaw candy. It's really good. It's a cold smoked salmon, mm. cut into long strips. But that process, you're either going to ferment something. Or you're going to cure something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just the process of a piece of jerky, it's still going to go rancid as long as there's fat on there, right? The the actual protein itself. Maybe is, why they were talking about fish, because there's it, very little fat in right. fish. Right? Now, a buddy of mine, he was doing something. Um, Joshua Inyart, uh, he goes by the Greybeard at Green Parade. He runs a school up in the Adirondacks. 
And one of the things pretty that bad, he, pretty badass he, name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's a cool dude. He's the, he's definitely a skilled guy. And one of these classes, uh, he came up with this idea to have a fat pot. And so either uh, tallow or yep, lard, uh, and then they, he would have them cook their meat, and then that's what they would eat on. And whenever they're you know finished eating whatever they were going to, they'd put it down in that fat and let it solidify. So that's uh, that technique, like uh, so that just kind of that keeps pretty, it from yeah, yeah. air getting on it. So uh, like in South Louisiana, pre-refrigeration they would have rendered either bear fat or pork fat Mm -hmm. and they'd fill the drum and when they harvested their ducks they would bury their ducks inside that fat so now you're in a zero oxygen situation Mm -hmm. so basically you have vacuum sealed this duck with no air so no air means no bacteria for the most part right and then what you the the confit Right, so is a French technique for cooking at a low simmer in fat. I'm sure it's in Billy Joe's book, but they would pull that duck out and it'd be encased in fat, and they would slow simmer it in the fat, and all the meat will fall off. So, this one of the secrets, and I ain't Matt. I love Matt. Matt's a good dude. <laughs> Glad you we could have you. <laughs> but if 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 you're not using salt and you're not using sugar. Yeah. You got to eliminate the oxygen from it. Mm-hmm. Now, dried meat. The Asians still love dried meat. Oh man, yeah. They they dry shrimp. Mexicans dry mm. shrimp. South America dries shrimp. And you know, shrimp's one of those deals where if we go to a restaurant and that shrimp set out a little too long, we think mm-hmm. Ooh, we ain't gonna eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious, Matt, because I watch one of my favorite YouTube shows to watch is this uh, best food review ever. And it's kind of like Andrew Zimmern, but hell of a lot better. Okay. And when they go to these open-air markets, and, you know, the pork's hanging up, the duck's hanging up. The, Flies everywhere. The wild game's hanging up. And, and we see this scenario, we think, man, they're going to get sick. They're going to die. I think that we've weakened our stomachs Absolutely. as Americans to the point where we can't tolerate the same thing that, 90% of the world eats on every day. You bet. I've been there. I never washed my hands during COVID. <laughs> you animal. <laughs> so, Matt, I mean, you've experienced foreign stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when you get into those environments, do you feel like, I mean, the water is always one of those deals right. that's high risk. But the protein is we don't, here in America, it has to be, under 40 degrees kept or above 140 that zone between 40 and 140 is the dead zone that's that's when you could get sick Mm -hmm. i guarantee you down there in ooga booga dooga (laughs) it's hot and humid 90 and the flies are all over it and the flies just left the shit house down the road and uh-huh. some and old boys on your lip <laughs> some old boy while you're drinking that being in the street you're, while you're drinking that old cow's milk and not to blood. mention dude i've always looked at that big old stump that they got where they're butchering mm-hmm. you know and, and coagulated oh the three bacteria yeah and they've got that old machete out there and they're just wham wham slopping this old machete down and for us, a, if we ain't got some bleach, we're going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so have, have we weakened ourselves as an American society, as a first world, to where our tolerances 
I mean, we'll eat blue cheese, which is nasty, right? I love it. I love it. But it, it's it's rotten cheese. Hey, I'll eat some nasty shit. We'll eat uh, aged, ham. aged beef. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be a 45-day age or whatever, and we'll pay top dollar for it. And that's just the scenario of that thing drying out, and there's bacteria over the top. But so, there again, there's stuff that that's, you know, like they put on, say, lettuce. I can go grocery store and buy a head of lettuce and eat that so it's gonna be fine but feed me a salad out of one of them little deals out of the, the back. store boy it'll tear my guts up and i know that's the shit <laughs> there that they put on there to, to keep it from turning brown you know it's gonna turn brown there was <laughs> a long time martinez told me that he was allergic to water because it made him gassy yeah. and i said what do you mean he says well anything that was raised on water makes me gassy <laughs> <laughs> man answer that question for him and then i've got a I've got a great story regarding exactly what you're talking about. I think maybe, uh, you, you know, when I think about that, like the human everything, mind, spirit, and body is pretty adaptable or else we wouldn't be here today. Right. So I think it might be a little bit rough at first. Really the things that concerns me uh, is parasites. Mm-hmm. Are we getting parasites put into us that are going to jack us up real bad? And are the lights still on? where I can just go to the hospital or a doctor and get medicine. Have you ever had parasites? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. I might have them right now and just be unaware. <laughs> yeah, but that's I, what I think. Not that the I know. Majority of people. He kind of lipped that old uh, syrup. If yeah. you, be if careful. you go to the bathroom <laughs> and when you're done, there's something swimming in the bowl. Is that a parasite? Probably so. Yeah, yeah. I think I've Or you swallow the goldfish. Let me assure you, it was not a goldfish. <laughs> he had them crabs at one time. Well, that's now wait a minute. They had you. They had you. He didn't have it. Hey, while I was overseas, uh, we had a handler, and he was from the Philippines. And he, I, through conversation, I talked about how I love to be immersed into foreign cultures and learn all these different things. And he decided that I needed to eat a stingray. So we went across the border from Brunei into uh, Malaysia, where there was an outdoor market. And he had talked for weeks about buying this stingray for us to eat. Male or female? The, the stingray. stingray. I couldn't balls tell. Or, you you damn no sure could if you've well, seen it. I can tell you it was about <laughs> maybe it's just a big around, a little smaller than that. It was, it was like a big pizza plate. Did it okay. have testicles? It did. Well, not that I saw. Then that was a female. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Anyway, we go to this outdoor market, and uh, we're sitting there waiting, and this gentleman comes walking down the alleyway with a cart, a wooden cart that has a gas-powered flat plate, hot plate on it, and then it's a rack up and over it, and there's about four of these stingrays sitting there swinging like (laughs) jelly from from the top of this rack. Now, before we left the United States, we had a packet of how to survive your time in Brunei, and the first thing it said is do not eat a single piece of meat that comes off the street. Mm -hmm. I ate every piece of meat I could find on the street (laughs) over there, and it was all awesome except the stingray. Because they pissed through their skin. Whatever. This guy guy rolls up, and the gentleman picks one off the rack, and and this you could tell by the smell that it had been out of the ocean for multiple days. <laughs> this was, and there was no refrigeration. You stood, and uh, well, I started second guessing. I said to the guy, "I'll eat anything twice," you know, because the first time could possibly just be a bad experience. Or just kill you, coming up and then chew it again. The minute I smelt that stingray, I thought I have said the wrong thing <laughs> so he this guy this gentleman takes it down and he just throws it on top of the 
hot plate and it's just kind of sizzling and it's if you think it smelled bad just swing in there wait till you put a little heat to it and it really started smelling rotten and i'm thinking to myself how far do i go with this how far do i take it and uh anyway he had a bowl of marinade or chimichurri chimichurri whatever you want to call it it was a liquid (laughs) and this guy took this little ladle and he put a little you know, dab on top of that thing. And I looked at him and I, I kind of gave him that signal, like, go ahead and put about four yeah. or five more on there. Don't be yeah. shy. So he kept, you know, doing this. And anyway, he flipped this thing a couple of times. And when he thought it was done, he took a knife and he cut one wing off and then he kind of went to the other side of the body. He didn't cut put the a thermopin in there and checked <laughs> no, it. sir. <laughs> there was no uh, D- Department of Human Services tag on his cart or anything. Did he turn it with his left hand or right? You know, I don't even know. Well, I don't. Important. I think I'd gotten to <laughs> so like nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, it, the funny thing was, is the gentleman that took us there. He works for pennies on the dollar compared to what we make, and he spent about two or three days worth of salary on this wow. stingray. Mm-hmm. So I felt obligated to eat it at this point yeah. because oh, when they yeah. split that thing, him, his wife, and his daughter took one half, and they gave me the other half. Ooh. And the whole time that I was driving there, riding there, there was a gentleman in the van with us who did about two or three tours with the Navy. And he said, hey, man, you don't want to do this. And I was like, oh, no, I like I like all kinds of stuff. you know." And he's like, no, you don't understand. I've been here. You don't want to do this. So he tried to talk me out of it. And, of course, I didn't listen to him. So now here I am stuck. I got this plate with this steaming pile of the nastiest smelling stuff. And I don't even know how to eat it. Did so he give you a tortilla or anything? Not a single tortilla <laughs> in the entire country, Joe. There wasn't a single corner tortilla. flour. No, no oh. corner flour. That would have made it much better. But anyway, so I'm watching the family, and the family takes the fork, grabs the, like the edge of the skin where it's been cut, and peels the top layer of skin off. So I just do the exact same thing, and then I look, and they're kind of the meat turns into this gelatinous like. Oh boy. I, I don't know how to explain it other than like it's the, the worst texture you can put in your mouth is all I can tell Gelatinous. You. Gelatinous. Kind of like the jelly that comes out of them old bayonet sausages maybe. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. So that's anyway, I look at those guys and they start they just start like shoveling this stuff in their mouth. So I, I take a big old scoop of it and I put it in my mouth and I thought, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this <laughs> down and it's going to be really embarrassing, you know, and all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder. And there's a lady there, and she's got a bucket, a, a galvanized pail, and there is about six of these Guinness Stouts in there. It's one of the few beers you can get over there. And uh, I pop the top on one of those things, and I just chug it down to get, get that gelatinous mm. meat down my throat. And I look over at my buddy who kept telling me not to do this, and he gives me the wink. He saw it all unfolding in front of him, oh, and he's he like, the only you. way he's going to get it down is if he's... So I went through two buckets of Guinness oh, So stout. was this a way to sell <laughs> beer? I, I, for people with my complexion, I'm sure that's what it is. So They didn't take a drop. So they it ate the whole thing. Ta- it didn't taste... It tasted terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever eaten, Joe. Now, so, I didn't try the whale blubber from last year, but... Martinez oh, that wasn't bad at all. Yeah, I think I could probably handle it's it. Compared horrible. to what I ate in that stingray, I think that the whale blubber would be just fine. So, culturally, whenever they have this rotten meat or this meat that, say, was killed wrong we've we've talked about that in the past if it's killed quickly that's going to taste better that's where your curry that's where your salsa mm-hmm. that's where big, your hot big sauce, sauce that's right. where all that comes from because you're trying to mask that flavor mm-hmm. of rancid death now <laughs> that's the only thing that's you've how got to ketchup came so, to be <laughs> that, well, that's, it's the same deal it was to get rid of it so 
there's a lot of these countries to where an ingredient is bile, right? And they're they're prone to liking a sour taste, but they'll take the actual bile from the animal and mix that in with either the raw meat or their stew or whatever. That's bile. That's the closest thing to shit you're going to mm-hmm. get. And that is a, a flavor ingredient. Stomach acid, basically. Yeah. yeah. So think about when you have heartburn and you cough up a little bit of that stomach acid, how rank that is. Mm-hmm. That's actually a flavor profile that there's huge so populations. So does Very that make you sick? That didn't make you sick. Man, it did. I ate everything over there, Joe. I mean, I ate chickens that were hanging for days. I never had... I never even didn't have had a, I never even had a bad experience on the on the Haji hole because we did not have a toilet on the base. We had a Haji hole. You're mm-hmm. very familiar with that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So just a hole in the floor. Just a hole in the floor with a what my guys thought was a shower <laughs> next to it. <laughs> that's not a shower, buddy. Notice there's no toilet paper. In that's there. the old bidet. That's it. Thing. That's right. So, so real quick, Joe. My question is: At what point is protein? no longer edible or can it be prepared in such a way that it's edible hmm that's tough that is tough i mean i would say it depends on the protein and it depends on what the critter is and what what you've got to that's that's a non-answer right there i mean so the answer what you're used to eating the answer would be that fire is going to take care of this yeah that's Mm -hmm. right and so as matt told you that one of the most critical things the most human thing we have is fire yeah so we're not we're not sitting here today without it but That's, you can take rotten meat and basically cook it and it's can, not going to kill you but it's just going to taste yeah like and, and in that same process you're also going to lose any value right. that was there right so yeah. at that point it's just, just substance eating. right and so Filler. you know there's people foreign countries that the women are eating mud pies when they're pregnant right just for a filler yeah and wow. so i don't know how that plays into survival but these people have lived in some pretty rough stuff transferring from that conversation into this this movie or this uh, reality show that you oh, were on yeah. at so once again it's called snowflake mountain mm-hmm. it was a top 10 deal on netflix yeah ran it's still running you yeah. can watch it i watched it this weekend it was like i said earlier i watched the first one and i thought i ain't gonna stomach it watched the second one and i said sent matt a message and i said <laughs> research is tough yeah. <laughs> i'm watching this show um i don't want to spoil it for the listeners because i'll screw it up but right. go ahead how many people the the scenario the breakdown of what we were going and then we could ask questions kind throughout. of the premise of the show yeah. so essentially joel and i didn't have anything to do with the selection process of, of those people. Like we were brought on board after they had already initiated all that. So what they told us uh, when they talked to us about it was there'd be uh, 10 people, five male, five female. And they think that they are going, they've been told they're going for a cool life experience. And what they think is they're going somewhere to party for like the next month. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, the way they didn't know that that wasn't the case, uh, because we weren't part of that, we asked that question to uh, production later, was none of those people wound up signing their own paperwork. They handed it all off to mom or dad or grandma, whoever. And so production had these conversations with them about what was really going to happen. And so... Had the conversation with the parents. The parents right. or, yeah, whoever. Uh, and we're talking, you know, 
the youngest at the time was 19 and the oldest was 26, but mostly, you know, in their 20s, she turned yeah. 20 out there. And so the idea was they are going to be made to stand on their own two feet. And so, excuse me, Joel and I, uh, we go over and we're, we're supposed to, I guess, kind of wrangle them up, you know, uh, kind of give them a rude awakening. And so the first time we ever met them was when you see us meet them on the side of this mountain oh and they're trying to figure, I mean, they're wearing Gucci this and like, uh, you know, all these brands <laughs> and, and all was, these things. Like, Where's the party at? <laughs> yeah. They were, they were Ooh. not really. They were kind happy. of bitchy because they had just had to carry their luggage mm-hmm. up this mountain. <laughs> for, for a distance. And, and they don't have like a duffel bag. Right. They're just carrying like they're hanging close. They've got they've got their fancy luggage with the four little wheels on the bottom, yep. trekking up this hillside. And yeah. uh, so, where was this at? Where did this take place? Uh, it, we filmed in northern England, about sixty miles from the Scottish border uh, in wow. the Lake District, and it was beautiful. It was really like really that. cool place. I've Interesting never been environment to too, though, right? Yeah, it, for me for us it was like we got on site. It was the height of COVID, so we had to quarantine for 10 days. But then they finally let us get out there two or three days before filming started to kind of get the lay of the land. And so Joel and I, we were like kids in a candy store, man. All these plants I've never seen before, learning everything I can learn. Um, it, it was it was a great experience and a beautiful property. And so we meet them, and boom, they're introduced. They're going to spend the next weeks in the wilderness. And if they eat it'll be because they did something to get food if they are warm it'll be because they made fire like basically and you know (laughs) it was definitely a rude awakening yeah so was that whole set was it built for the program yeah so all of the individual cabins the bunkhouse the uh the kitchen area the outdoor kitchen all of that stuff was built for the show yep it's a hell of an undertaking yeah i want to say I, I I didn't see the paperwork, but I had heard whispers of it was probably an, an eight million dollar budget to Whoa. do that. Yeah, those eight episodes, wow. and so they they did it right. Now for for me, I looked at those uh, tents that they were st- like I would rent that place. Oh yeah, that had a nice little wood stove in there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, no survival uh, needed. But for them. You know, it might as well, you might as well have been standing them up at the gates of hell. Yeah, uh, they just came out of grandma's basement. Hundred percent. And so uh, it was a rude awakening for them. And uh, I bet they were pissed. Aaron, when you watch this, <laughs> this something. is one thing that I noticed in the kitchen area. There's a damn bar, dude. There's Coronas. There's these beers sitting up on top of it. And so if if you're taking who Matt's got. For us, this is a place we would pay to go and right. hang out. Yeah, yeah. Like, you tell us we got a bar, got a wood stove, a tent. There's a big old pond there, probably got some fish in it. We could go stay at this deal for 500 a week or 1000 a week. <laughs> We'd be all in. For these people, you just put them into Hades. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was. I thought it was kind of cool, too, because in, in that sense, like the alcohol, like, if they done something to earn food, like they might be able to earn two beers per person with that meal, and it, you know that's not on. You're not seeing a lot of that on screen. You might see it in the background, you know, like you're talking about. But <clears throat> even that was like a big reward that they yeah. earned. But so they, they can were very, see it, but they might not can get it. Well, that would have been after they had got it. Maybe they hadn't cleaned oh, up the kitchen oh, or something and, like that. And you find out really quick in this deal how conniving 
humans oh, are. Oh, I bet and, it happened instantly. And yeah. so, as Matt's been telling us through this whole podcast, how every situation is is its unique mm-hmm. survival set for these people. That is their survival. They're not used yeah. to it. That's Matt being in the jungle. That's me being out in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that they want to do is to steal from each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, that was interesting, too. Oh um, it, you know. Right off the bat. Because you, you, you kind of mentioned Basic that. instinct. Um, I've had lots of people on that topic ask me, like, how shocked and blown I w- away I was at those the way they were. And I don't think we really were. We just, you know, our mindset was not everybody's like me. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has every is- opportunity with people that love them and yeah. to teach them like I have, you know. And so... And you could actually help these, teach yeah. them some valuable skills. Well, and the thought, too, you know, in line with what you're saying, is if you're walking around with your shoes untied, I can point and laugh at you and make fun of you. Or yeah. I can say, has anybody ever taught you to yeah. tie your shoe? Let, right. let me show you. And then if you it. still walk around with your shoe untied, I'm going to laugh at That's you. That's on you. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what your experience is. You may have had yeah. nobody in That's your life. That's a very good way to put it. Um, so we weren't really shocked. We were... Um, you know that they went through a very lengthy process of selecting people with big personalities, mm-hmm. and so there were big personalities. But humans are humans, right? And what we saw really quick—that show gave me hope for society, because you see what you see on episode one and episode two. But when you remove technology and distractions, and you put people in nature, mm-hmm. and they have to rely on each other. They naturally come things. Together. They start becoming like that's awesome. The humans that like the human spirit is very adaptable. The most beautiful sunrises I've ever seen in my life, and that I probably will ever see, uh, was in Fallujah. Okay, a terrible place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found beauty there. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Probably yeah. not going to see that one. Pro- probably not going to see that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll take your uh, word on it. But it's because the human spirit is adaptable, mm-hmm. and I see what you're saying. It's really, I think, easy for us to see these generations coming up behind and say, oh, they're weak or they're this or that or whatever. But I mentioned this before. Like, they they say World War II, that, that was the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. We've all heard that. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Well, they lived through the Depression. They ponied up. And they were resilient. Th- they ponied up when World War II came. Why? Because they didn't have a damn choice. That's in right. right. That's you right. either ponied up. Or else. Right. And so they had to. Or speak German. So, exactly. And so they had a terrible, horrible opportunity, but they were forced into an opportunity. So, you know, Ukraine, the youth of well, Ukraine. Well, they responded. They, they had to. Mm-hmm. They had to respond. Yeah. Well, the youth of Ukraine, because they had the same, every generation's going to have, you know, oh, the, you know, like new generations are weak or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, are they going to be their great generation? Because they were thrown a horrible opportunity in their lap in the sense of today you're just a, a scumbag teenager that don't want to do anything, but here's an AK, so you either go fight or die. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that may be. That's so what you got. When's right. the last time our country has had such an unfortunate opportunity? Like 1776? I mean, I think we World, need War one. II. World War II. I mean, not even. 
Korea was a horrible thing, but it wasn't World War II level. You know what I'm okay. saying? Mm-hmm. And so everybody had to do that. So I have faith after that show. It's on a very, very micro scale, but to see like the human spirit when faced with things will adapt. Yeah. And people will behave just like you think they should behave given enough time mm-hmm. or they die and then it doesn't matter anymore. There you go. So as a person who, who watched this. So how many episodes? Eight. Eight. So Over eight weeks or? Uh, 17 or eight, 18 days, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. So as a person who watched this, I'll tell you that the. Oh, don't tell me too much. No, the, the story winds up how if you were to produce a reality show, how you would want it to, to end. end. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not typical it, it, of it, what you see in right. the world today. Yeah. In reality and so our. Our focus this year was, you know, to promote our youth, to say that our kids... They're not all scumbags. They're not all scumbags. Right. They're, they're not, not all wackos and all that. That's That's been a huge focus of what we would like to promote. Mm-hmm. I don't know how good of a job we've done, because we've had a bunch of guys with cowboy hats who are in their 40s and 50s. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's They're a, not scumbags either. <laughs> no. The show, Matt and his crew, there's a gal named Kat, right? Yep. Cat Bigney, amazing, super legit survival instructor. She's bad to the bone. So She's awesome. Cat helps these people out. These kids were fearful when they seen Cat. Yep. Because they knew that she wasn't going to put up with stuff. She's like a primitive Laura Croft. Look, yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Tough chick. Mm-hmm. So amazing, amazing deal. I'll just say if you're going to watch it, just like Matt told me, hang in there. Mm-hmm. The first one, because, you know, we're tired of hearing those people yell and scream and act a fool. And so to sit through and, and listen to it, it set the premise of what kind of medicine these kids needed. Yep. And they found it in the outdoors. Yep. And uh, the outdoors did half the work for us. Yeah. Right. You know, at real Mother Nature. So she, she'll she do that. She'll do that 100%. Right. So we're getting, we're at the two hour mark, but corporations do they come to your school and do team building yep um in fact we've had like walmart's u.s learning division uh their uh, folks have came out and we've worked with them on team building and um, developing team building and they were actually really cool and giving us amazing feedback and how to make our team building stuff better mm. so yeah we get uh quite a bit of that oh aaron was in charge of that for the company we work for for a little bit some of that team building yeah part of it yeah and uh i never thought that worked i'm sure joe doesn't but like i thought you know we all go hang out and shoot each other at paintballs (laughs) we're gonna do a better job tomorrow i think it was so that this year was the first year i went and did that specific event i thought it was great it was good camaraderie i mean everybody was running around having fun you had to work together team to defend the other team or beat the other team right and so i i thought it was very beneficial and i had a blast doing it but yeah we're in charge of putting on events trying to enhance the culture of the well, company we work for i think when you get in a fight or flight situation which paintball can yeah nobody can cause shot. that yeah right you look past whether or not you like somebody and you look towards building a team like can this how, how do i help this person yeah. and how does this person help me 
which I think is exactly what your school would probably bring on as well. Yeah, we have a few different programs, and we're really big on wanting to meet with whoever the decision maker is to make sure that whatever things they have noticed need to be addressed, whether it's communication or getting people to be uh, more bold about voicing ideas, whatever that case is. Um, one of them is basically a day of where that team is just there doing these activities together and like they're having to uh, basically sort things out and compromise quite a bit. And then another, another day, it's an entire day that we do out there and those teams get split up and they're having to communicate over distance like they can't get their mission done without the other team and they're having to solve problems and puzzles and they're having to do some physical stuff nothing that i mean any nothing crazy hard physical but uh problem solving you know all that stuff so mm-hmm. but we try and make sure that whatever those main concerns for that uh management or whatever then we're going to make sure those get addressed in that. But you're also going to learn some cool new skills. It's going to be something that is very doable for anybody in any physical you know, level to do the activities. And it's a lot of fun. You're getting out of the office for a day. You you're getting out the I'm outdoors. Sold. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. Joe, can yeah. we do a podcast group? No, I, I think that what we should do is we should come out and visit Matt at his place and, and check it out. I yeah. mean – that's my kind of deal. I know that's I love it, Derek. Eric, I mean, <laughs> Learn Joe, stuff. that's your kind of deal. I mean, anytime we can grab some knowledge that's uncommon, mm-hmm. sure, which probably should be common, but it was 120 right. years ago. Probably right. just not now. You yeah, know, every kid knew this stuff back then. Mm-hmm. Um, two hundred fifty bucks, five hundred bucks. What are we looking at? Uh, so for our classes, uh, like you can find our classes, American survival com. If it's a, a weekend class, like our two day core survival class where, um, you're just coming out there and being immersed, uh, is like two seventy five uh, per person, uh, for the weekend. Uh, if it's like a plant class or something like that, like one eighty nine, and all of the class materials and stuff are included. Uh, and then we have obviously group rates and things like that too so and it it depends on the class if we were doing like a primitive bow making class then you know I'd it depends like on what the, the so, so you do and, just a plant class also yeah, yeah 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 that's we either do just a plant walk if that's what folks want uh but typically i'll run half the day as a plant walk and then the other half of the day is taking that stuff and turn it into medicine and you're taking it home right. with you uh, you got a nice cabin that we can stay in or? Uh, the, I did <laughs> have. I did have. But we, and that's another thing. People are. I think some people hear the word survival and they're like, God, it just sounds too physical and too hard. Like, it's a farm, and there's a field. Uh, we've got a, a big barn there, and so the field is like mowed probably better than your yard. Right. Mm-hmm. No ticks, anything like that. So plenty of space to set up your tent. I don't care if people bring a camper, unless it's like one of the more hardcore classes. Be as comfortable or as miserable as you want. It's not going to change what I'm going to teach you. Exactly. So if you want to drag up a camper, and, and it doesn't matter to me. That if you want to throw awesome. steaks on the fire, do that. I Don't suffer. Have like, have fun. I, yeah, I just got yeah, We're going to eat well if Joe's there, I promise. Right on. Memorial yeah, make week- it the experience you want. Yeah, Memorial Weekend, that's basically what me and a handful of buddies and a couple of families went out and did nice. on a plot of land with a couple hundred acres, just mm-hmm. nobody around out of, out of Beaver and 
plant walk. I mean, just not really plant walk, but uh, this was kind of bring more food and just hang yeah. out. And have Use it, beaver, and there's time. nobody around. Yep. Hey, beaver meat is yep. delicious. If you never had it, it is. I'll eat a lot of beaver. Meat. It is some <laughs> of the best meat ever. Um, but we also do custom classes. You know, if we have people who want to do, you know, just these certain things, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we tailor it to them. Uh, we've worked with military. You name it. Yeah. Hey Matt, can I go back just a just yeah. a minute here? Have you stayed in contact with any of the contestants on your show? Yeah, uh, especially you know the first year, year and a half, uh, we were in pretty constant contact. We keep I can keep tabs on them on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, see how they're doing. Um, so give but, me some feedback that they gave you um, after surviving or, or lasting as long as they lasted. Mm. Like, did they hate your guts at the end of it? Did they say, hey, you made no. me a better person? It like, was, uh, it's like I wound up with a bunch of new nieces and nephews. Awesome. And it was I, all positive. And I felt like they felt like they wound up with two new uncles. That's yeah. awesome. Um, That's pretty cool. And a lot of it was life-changing. They had, yeah. They yeah. were like, hey, I mean, really here's the reality. It takes 21 days to create a new habit, right? Yeah. We had them for 18 days. Uh, and as much good for them to experience and have uh, the self-discoveries and positive changes they did, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think I would say that's positive. a condensed 18 days. Right. Like, it's not a typical 18 days. Exactly, I think yeah. in your environment, right. I would say that's every bit of 21 days worth yeah, of yeah. worth of experience, I should yeah. say, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because they were, yeah. Yeah, that was, it was, uh, it was a, and it was an amazing experience for us uh, working with I them, bet. but also just you know, the from the production side of things, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. We've got a pretty good uh, environment in Northwest Arkansas for, oh, for yeah. your business. Hundred percent. I think there's yeah. a there's a great client base here. Mm-hmm. I think um, the surroundings lend itself right up your alley. Like this, is, yeah. yeah. If if you can survive in Northwest Arkansas, I'm not kidding. If if I would I would venture to say more people die in the woods of northwest arkansas than in a lot of other environments that we would consider to be a rougher tougher environment we have quite a few that perish here yeah like i've got a buddy on the sars on the search and rescue team mm-hmm. and and man it's not good and, and as simple as people walking away from their vehicle in weddington woods right, right. Of, right. i mean that's that's a four-hour hike to a highway somewhere right. if yeah. you go any direction, any direction for four straight. hours you're in a highway or a river they're well, just doing circles. Right. My understanding is uh, most people who do perish uh, are day hikers. You bet. Because they didn't need anything. They were just yeah. going out for a day. Bottle so of water and tea. Yeah, yeah. They didn't need nothing. And you find, like, somebody from Tulsa missing and find three years later dead in Devil's Den. Right. Uh, a guy yep. going to, yep. you know, the Buffalo and getting caught out in November. And I think it was November, but died of hypothermia. Yep. I mean, So what's your advice for just like a day hiker the most simple out, pack just be prepared what are the what be are the, prepared for kind of the worst yeah give us like five things you should never leave the okay. trail without yeah. or the uh, truck without don't leave without telling somebody where you're going and when they you right. should expect you back yeah, number mm-hmm. one. Uh, and don't deviate from what you told them or it's going to be pointless yeah right? <laughs> um just like scuba divers plan your dive and dive your plan there you right. go same thing with that um then and you don't have to carry a huge big old heavy pack Something for shelter, which a poncho, not a bad idea to have a poncho right. in the woods. Right. Uh, something to purify water and some kind of container to carry that water in. Those Sawyer Mini water filters will screw right onto a, a water bottle. Or Get them at Walmart. Bottle. Mm-hmm. Yep, 24 mm-hmm. bucks. That's right. Save um, your life. 
and something to create fire. Yeah. Uh, so Make we got hey, one, two, hey, three, you four. You say, I'm, let me inter yeah. interject. When I learned how to create a friction fire, it was me and a buddy of mine. And when we finally got our fire done, <laughs> my buddy looked at me and he said, you know what I just learned? And I said, what? And he said, I learned never leave the house <laughs> yeah, without a big lighter. lighter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for that fire, I would say <clears throat> a big lighter and maybe a ferro rod, and you need to carry yeah. some kind of tinder yeah. to actually mm -hmm. get your fire going. Yep. Yep. Um, Man, Arkansas end, is wonderful for tinder. Oh, you can find cedar. a cedar tree. Oh, my God. A cedar tree is a tree of life if it you're is. out in the woods. Mm -hmm. It is. I know lots of farmers hate them because they take up so much water, but it's, it's probably one of my favorite trees. Yeah. Um, shelter, fire. So shelter, water, fire, and uh, some kind of signaling device. And I would say I tell people two things. So if you are, any of you fellas are, are hunting in the woods during deer season, what makes you see a deer? Movement. Movement. Mm -hmm. Contrast, a white tail flicking. Mm -hmm. Or you hear them, they blow at you. Right, Those right. are the secrets to camouflage. If you don't want anybody to ever see you, don't do any of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't contrast yourself. Uh, don't be that loud, and don't be moving. So if we want to be seen, we need some kind of contrast. So if I've got like a high-vis bandana that I can tie on a stick. A red poncho. Contrast, <laughs> yep. Uh, I've got movement with that thing and Make a noise. whistle that is doesn't have the P in it, the uh, little – uh, cork ball in there yeah. because in the winter time it can get frozen and prevent mm. from working mm. so an actual survival whistle because that's a very very distinct sound if there's 50 people out hollering yeah that you, they might not hear you and that's actually been documented right. it's happened so those things i would say a bare minimum and you you could just put that almost in a fanny pack you bet. yeah yeah and and be good to go you, know? you mentioned paracord earlier yeah. not not essential for the day hike but overall would you consider that to be one of your criticals oh 100 because it's very hard to recreate yeah you can do it but it's very right. time consuming yeah. labor intensive yeah, yeah. so at least you know 25 40 foot of paracord because it's got seven strands in it right. so now i got that times eight you know or times right. seven. you know earlier you'd mentioned also that just the desire to survive and how mm -hmm. critical that is a buddy of mine uh, went hunting in Montana and for years and years and years he followed the same path he got up to this peak and he mm -hmm. followed the peak around to his left and some friends brought him and started him in a different location when he got up to the peak he kind of forgot about that and he followed it to the left when he should have gone to the right because he was going the opposite direction mm -hmm. he got lost out there for three days Mm -hmm. He said the day, the first two days, no problem. He had a couple of granola bars and this and that, and and he saved three shots in his rifle because he knew that was the one yep. signal. Three shots, boom, 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 out of a out of a rifle and SOS. That's right. Deal. Yeah, and uh, it's it's pretty well known. If you go through the uh, gun safety course, that's one thing they teach you. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said day two got pretty rough, and when the sun went down on day two, he started to lose that will. And he said he sensed it, he felt it. It's a real thing. So, so to like think he, that like you're just going to have that. Hey, this guy's no joke. And he wasn't he's, far from where he's familiar. With no, him. no, no. He's and then Montana's kind of a big place, right? So you're right, but, but yes, he's you're done. Before, he's within yeah. miles of home. Yeah, like literally within miles of home. Mm -hmm. But when you get up on top of that ridge and you fall off the other side of the ridge and there's nothing there until you get you know you know hundred miles top, to the yeah. east or whatever. Um, but but to him his his whole the whole reason he told me the story was how quickly 
that light started to fade. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two things that you have to understand and focus on. One is people will sit down and die of shame and regret. Mm-hmm. How did I let this happen to me? Doesn't matter. Yeah. You have to understand right. you it can happened. you can feel like an yeah. idiot whenever you survive and get home. <laughs> while and you can process right. all that while you're eating in the heat. That's right. <laughs> Nothing you did up yeah. to that point matters anymore. You the only thing that matters are. is we we stop. There's a this this acronym stop, but we stop, we think, we observe, we figure out what we have with us and we make a plan and then we act. S T O P A. Um, and then the other thing is find something to appreciate something something beautiful mm. and for me everybody's going to be different but i've been lost before too and when that happens you feel like look we don't have any real control over anything but we sure feel like we do every single day sure mm-hmm. um but when you're in that situation you feel like everything has been stripped and ripped away from you you got no control if you can find something I, my big thing is i'll make a little pair of tongs because if i can have control and manipulate the coals in my fire. I've got some kind of control back over my life. Wow. Maybe it's very minimal, but that is a huge yeah, morale that's booster. Pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. Interesting. So mindset. Forget about what got you there. Focus on so what's, what's going to get, get you, you out there. What do you think the most common um, likelihood? I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about how you get stranded like that. I mean, uh, is it usually hikers more than other things? And, um, there's a really good book uh, written by a guy named Lawrence Gonzalez, and it's called Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why. And he dives into that exact question. Um, the only times I've ever been even close to it was twice. Mm-hmm. But we were duck hunting in Bio de Vue, and that's public, and wading around and everything. And, and it was cloudy, and it was uh, tree-ridden. Mm-hmm. And, and we got turned around. Yeah, it happened, and basically went the wrong way. And I'm pretty used to being outdoors and dealing with things like that. But that was a, a Mike confusing Bill Wildren for yeah. a few hours, and a few hours long enough. But we did finally shoot those three shots, <laughs> and, and got someone. Found. And someone. Hey, res- my buddy, the same thing. Back. That's how he got found. Yeah. He heard a four wheeler in the distance. Three shots. Yeah. And the four wheeler stopped. They found you know, we were looking at swamp rabbits out there. I'd never seen rabbits so big. Yeah. <laughs> they were right there in East yeah. Arkansas. And the other time we were in, uh, I was canoeing through the Everglades. Oh. And it was a lot of fun. I was with uh, mm-hmm. another canoe group, and uh, it was there were some funny things that took place, and there were some not funny, so funny things. But we, I read maps well. Mm-hmm. and But the perception of what I thought was the starting point when at the gulf on old man river at the everglades and we're thinking and we talked to a ranger and he said yeah the weather's fine you don't have to worry about it. you can make it and so we were canoeing on the on the gulf of mexico mm-hmm. and but the perception was that when i'm looking way over there it looks about three miles away i thought that was the point that we needed to start our measurement from to find the next mm-hmm. river that comes in but it was actually just right apart across from us uh-huh. so there happened to be a, a triangular-shaped island in front of the river, and we cut across the bay and just missed it. Mm-hmm. And when you're out there with, uh, you know, just the mango mm-hmm. stuff, and you're hard, on a hard canoe. To yeah, and, hard to tell. And yeah. uh, you're sitting there thinking, where are we going to stay? But we, we did find, like, a little 
area that was about the size of this room. And the funniest part about it was just covered with dead horseshoe crabs. Just oh, covered. Yeah. I mean, and the gnats and the mosquitoes and the things that could march with their arms together through your mosquito netting that mm-hmm. we're used to. And it, it was it was wild. But you know, we didn't ever really particularly feel like we were in too scary of a thing. But it did at least give us the idea of where you don't know where the hell you are. Right. You're on yeah. the I, you know, Gulf you, of Mexico and the Everglades. You can be out. Yeah. Um, 20 yeah. feet off the way in the Everglades yeah. or, you know, I've been 60 miles out into the Sierra mountains on the John Muir trail. Mm-hmm. And if you get too far off the trail yeah. and, you know, I, I tell everybody have a compass, but if you don't know how to use a compass, yeah. all it does uh, is tell you which goodness. direction is which. Right. And if well, you don't know where was, to go. I interrupted your answer, just gave you those two stories. But so the, I guess we're giving examples of how it could happen. But, oh, man, mm-hmm. I've been there. Well, I've been lost on Beaver Lake at night. You know, when the, when the sun goes down, yeah. Oh, yeah. you can't tell you can't them. You can't get yeah. my confused. Yeah. I mean, if you Joe, don't have a GPS, you're yeah. just following the coastline until you Joe, find where you Me and Joe go. did that one time on Grand Lake at night. Yeah. And we'd went right by the our truck. It's easy. Oh, yeah. so, it was rain that caused it for us. The other yeah, time. We were on Maddox was... Bay and down in southeast Arkansas, mm-hmm. and it's Delta, and we were catching so many fish, we weren't about to leave. And we <laughs> right. could see the storm coming and said, hell with it, we're catching more fish. Yeah. And yeah. then finally you take off, and you're going through this beating, beating rain. And my, my brother was uh, in the front, and I was driving the boat, and he's on over here. You know, we pull into the dock. I said, man, I'm glad we're here. He goes, yeah, but where is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know you're in trouble when you've crossed your own wake. Yeah. I've, I've been lost after I became a survival instructor, and it was my fault. Um, but because, and I will say this, because I had skills, I didn't panic. Mm-hmm. The only right. thing that came to my mind was I might – catch some ribbon over this because i'm the survival guy who got lost but they won't find me dead they'll right, find right. me out here doing just fine. you know what i'm saying it so, might be a little lighter yeah. weight than it was right yeah. but mother nature and mr murphy always get a say no matter how mr. Good you murphy are, the yeah. murphy's law that's right that's right mr murphy gets yeah. a say. it's a real so does mother nature and right. so i don't care how good you are stuff happens so if you've got that skill set and that knowledge of how to survive that yeah. and not panic, right. then it's, it's That's a, a large step toward everything's going to be better. Yes. I mean, if you're panicked all the time, you, how can you make a good decision? That's right. Yeah. Or even decide to. Yep. All right, Matt. We're going to run through some of our standard questions that we ask okay. every episode. Uh, my first one, with all your experience, you know, being an Army vet and being a survival guide, what makes a quality human? In your eyes, hmm. we used to say "man." It's got to be human. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, with the I would say involved with his group, you know. Yeah. He's told about one of the most badass women there was. Right. Yeah. Why limited awesome. to a man? Right. Um, I would have to say <coughs> someone with honor and integrity, um, and someone. Who cares about other people more than themselves? That to me is mm-hmm. a person. Can Kindness. I count on you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Can right. can I count that when the chips are down and I need you? If it's 14 hours for you to get there, you'll be there. Not everybody can do that. Nope. I, I get that, but uh, honor and integrity to me, that's the foundation. I heard you say uh, 
to trust somebody is who you want in the foxhole with you. Yeah, if I if I that's the highest compliment I can pay to another human being mm-hmm. is if I would share a foxhole with them. It really is. I love it. Yeah, lots of reasons. That's there's a lot I of fully under, to that. you don't even have to explain them. I fully understand what you mean. And I've never served in the military. So. Yeah. They got to be funny and have big butt cheeks that can eat. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little Wilsonshire on the side. What do you got, Derek? Okay. Uh, oh, it's a 12-parter. No, no, three, three-parter. <laughs> Squ- uh, three. and, and don't pay any attention to the company present. Okay. But if you got to eat, are you going squirrel, groundhog, or raccoon? I love squirrel. I don't think I've had groundhog. I've had raccoon. I'm a big fan of squirrel. Yeah. Mom always fried it up when we was kids. And I, what are you doing? Easy. What are you doing, Matt, on September 23rd? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I have to look. You, you and can't forget. Pull that calendar you up real quick. Can't forget the date. It's 92323. Look at that calendar and see what September 23rd has to hold for you. We we already know what you're doing. Yeah, we do know. Yeah, in case you got the wrong thing on your calendar, you don't even have to drive 14 hours. I think I'm good. Guess yeah. what, Matt? Leave it that way. Arkansas Game right. Fish Commission. You are going to be on September 23rd in Springdale, Arkansas. Okay. And you get to sit at one of the most coveted oh tables. Oh, my God. Matt Tate, squirrel judge Woo. at the oh World God. Champion Squirrel Cook-Off. Let's go. That's awesome. I'm putting it in my phone. Right you now. damn right. And uh, <laughs> I don't go. think the squirrel moose is going to do very good this I, year. I think you're going to be sitting at uh, table number two. Your judge probably number three on that table. Let's right. go. That's awesome. And right. that's a big Sounds deal. You just on the calendar, thought you knew how to survive. <laughs> you, wait. <laughs> you wait till you get a big old mouthful of this. All right, uh, I'm ready. So I'm ready. hey, I'll I'll tell you. You know, we scored me and Martinez. We dress up pretty for this event, and we go around. We have a good time. We're the MCs and hosts for okay. the event, and um, we've got some great judges lined up. And so the teams that are coming, you're going to be judged by. We've got a guy, Malcolm Reed, who I looked the other day. He's got 260 million views on Facebook Jeez. or on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's the How to Barbecue Right Show. Okay. Yeah, big old Malcolm. Very He's cool. come to get a mouthful. We got nice. Mark Lambert, the seven-time world champion of barbecue. Mm-hmm. Right. He's going to be one of our judges. Wow, and uh, I just did an interview, and I've, I scored another guy. This man, he owns and operates a whole hog. Oh, and very nice. And especially the North Little Rock deal. So okay. he's going to be here. So my question is uh, mentors. Who has your mentors been in life? And I, and everybody's had a pile of them. And I'm not asking you truly to single somebody out, but there's someone who's touched you and, and motivated you in the way that's given you this this power. And I'm sure it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that's what I was going to say. I knew it was. I could see it on you. But the, the person walking on this earth. Well, my dad died when I was 13. And so I spent my teenage years bouncing from one adult male to another looking for uh, a good mentor and role model and what i discovered was nobody was perfect and so but everybody most everybody i encountered had some good and so my intent was to try and focus and pull whatever good i saw in them and implement that into my own life 
Um, and so there was many. My, my, I had some amazing uncles uh, that helped take care of us. You know, my dad was in the hospital dying. Uh, and I went to work at a boat dock whenever I was 16. And there was an old uh, Army guy there uh, by the name of John Meeks. And he took me under his wing. And uh, that dude loved me like I, I was his own son. And uh, he taught me a lot of things. And so I've been really blessed that it wasn't just one. I could find good in lots of, mm-hmm. and I, anything that I thought wasn't good or wasn't right, I just left it there, you know. So my second part of the question, it's kind of a sensitive one since your dad died when you were so young. But mm-hmm. Do you remember your dad telling you he loved you? I do, I do. But my dad was a pretty hard man. He was a truck driver. He was gone a lot. What I remember most, if I could think of one one moment of love above all else, uh, I fell and got hurt and I had a big gash in my head and the day that I knew I mean I knew but the day I knew my dad loved me I saw him run and he ran to pick me up and get me to a hospital and get me stitches mm. that my dad didn't get shook about much um, and there was another time I, I got burned and I, I never seen him like those two times I knew unequivocally my dad loved me mm-hmm. so but he he wasn't you know real <clears throat> super super affectionate he's a pretty hard man yeah. but i knew he loved me i yeah. got you yeah. great answers bill well it just makes me think about how much you put it to personal and caring and your belief in jesus christ and mm-hmm. uh it's like today's my granddaughter and my sister's birthday and it just makes me think about uh, thanking you for your service. And uh, what you do seems to be incredible. I'd love to know more. I've always been one of those, uh, I guess, like drugstore cowboys. I'm kind of a drugstore cowboy survivalist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could pull up and camp out with anybody right now in my pallet down there. Right on. And I've got the big list. and. I got to back up on salt and sugar and stuff at the house. I got a lot of bird seed even. I mean, Ooh, if I run out of something idea. at my house, we got another one. Right. But I've always just thought about the survivalist part would be uh, if everything's shut down, I'm still at home. Mm-hmm. So there's still some skills involved in that. Yes. Even if you're not out there. And I was wondering if there's anything you might have to say about people that might be just the preppers or somebody that just might be prepared at home. I think they're really smart because doing survival is temporary. There's a reason we don't live that way. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that we try and keep food on our shelves. And so um, if for no other reason, the whole thing I talked about, the deer mm-hmm. and the limited population we have compared to the human population, mm-hmm. I don't want to be out in that mess. No. I want to have stuff where I don't have to leave my house. Well, it's amazing right. how long rice and beans can last if you oh, really yeah. needed it and right. other things like that. And if the salt and the sugar and you know granted the most reason i've got a lot of sugar is because of my hummingbirds but oh nice <laughs> you know, bottom comes down to it they'll like the wildflowers you gotta cook a lot of hummingbirds i have a, my own freeze dryer i freeze dry my food because i want there you go 20 30 year shelf life eggs you know mm. so mm, I, I definitely that's believe interesting yeah wow yeah um so no i'm but 
I currently live in town. We're in the process of buying property and we're going to build. I can't wait to get out and have the homestead and do all of that because that's that's real survival. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Yeah, Self-sufficiency. Yes, 100%. Is ongoing real survival. I'm very fortunate to know a lot of several people that can do that. One, there's a group here or a group, a family in uh, Johnson or wherever it is, right, or Lowell. And it's the most self-sufficient place I've ever seen. They remind me, though. I've heard of this place. Oh, yeah, it's great. We've talked about it. Uh, Incredible. And they just continue to get better at it. Um, There's something so fascinating about that. Yeah. So, anyway, going long enough, but I appreciate you taking a minute to talk about people. And I would say. Just being prepared at home. Include expanding your tribe. There you go. For that. Because I'm going to tell you, if there's four or five people at a place, 20 or 30 is just going to roll in and kill them and take them what they got. Like if we're living in Mad Max times. Right. So you better develop Max, community yeah. and you better be doing it. Well, now. I'm just That's basically part of that going for thing. the... I'm glad I'm on your side, Matt. Your <laughs> yeah. yeah, are we... Are You're we, always are welcome we to be trying to my We got plenty of guns, boys. Yeah, I'll bring all Bill's hummingbirds. There you go. There you go. Bill shows up with two pockets of bird seed. I'm here. I'm here. some sugar. I'm just here to help. Look, I'm going to bring my... Give me a little sugar, Bill. I'm going to bring my assassin cat, Jerry Lee. He can get all the chipmunk squirrels and birds for us. What is that? Safflower? Assassin <laughs> cat. <laughs> Martinez. Okay, so, uh, Matt, we've heard a uh, little bit about your childhood and a whole lot about your whole life background. Uh, something I always like to ask because it's kind of something I think about. I lost my dad when I was 14. But uh, what's one of your or the best childhood memory? Hmm. I'd say uh, going camping with my mom and dad and my brothers, probably if I had to pick one. That or uh, Christmas morning when I was six, mm-hmm. um, Lincoln Logs and camouflage backpack and red oh, rubber yeah. BB gun. Oh, Lincoln Logs. It's all when the family, you know, was, was together, though. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's awesome. Good deal. And uh, thank good. you for your service, by the way. Yeah. 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 Appreciate, Appreciate that. Appreciate it. So, yeah, thank I you got for a book service. for you, and uh, Bill's got a book for you. <laughs> awesome, and, uh, World War Two. <laughs> okay, very cool. Unless you cook, then you have two books. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. It was a very informative podcast. Uh, we appreciated you and and your time, listeners. Go check out americansurvivalcode.com. Yep, is that best way to find you, or Facebook, or yep. Instagram? Uh, Instagram, uh, same thing. American Survival Co. Uh, I have my own too, Matt Tate Survival on instagram and then of course we have youtube uh, american survival co with lots of videos and we're about to get back on that wagon pushing out more and more uh for, for whatever reason there must be an algorithm that picked up on them and there's a few that's just cool. kind of been going is there any of them dozer knives that that uh clean squirrels better than the other yes the tusk what's the dozer smaller knife? Uh, so do you I'll, have a dozer knife well he's made some of them yeah, designed. I, I designed a knife with Dozier. Uh, okay, with Bob. Uh, with uh, Dan Crotz. Okay. So Bob at the time uh, was rarely in the shop, but Dan Crotz yeah. has been in that, that shop since 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah, now yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. Crotz knives. Uh, yep. And he I, makes amazing blades. Boy. I set some of his equipment. Oh, okay. And I've got a Dozier knife in my truck. And, uh, yeah, you, you'll find – I'll let you use mine. 
Joe, and then you tell me. Well, we have the world champion squirrel cleaning competition oh, same day as the event. Knife, yeah. Churches can't compete. Well, Martinez kind of ring-led that deal at the last event. Some old boy, he decided his knife wasn't sharp enough, so he just went straight to his teeth. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hardcore. That's survival <laughs> right there. It. <laughs> Started peeling up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, Matt, we're going to see you September 23rd I'll in Springdale. There. You're going to be bellied up to the table eating that good quality limb chicken. Count me in. And uh, I want to say to all of us, all of our hosts, man, we did a great job with Matt. Matt's a great guest. And I want to tell the listeners that you guys are – are setting us to new levels yes and continue to pass the word um you know we've had a couple podcasts branch off you, you got uh what's the agriculture one of wes is called oh what is he I just put him on the spot did he, uh, did he start it yeah yeah it's real oh, good, good show deal. real good show wes has a show uh, open the gates to agriculture podcast i did see that yep yeah. wes has a show mm-hmm Chris Gregory has a great show out there. Yeah. Chris is talking about horseshoeing and the people involved in it. He was it. at great. Fort Leonard Wood, too. So, oh, yeah. right on. So was my dad. Huh. So, great show. Open the gates to what now? Open the gates to agriculture. Yep, good show. And then you can also go back. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, Survival Logic. Survival podcast. Logic. I listened to the first episode. Great oh. show. Great show. So there's plenty of things for our listeners if you're looking for something else to listen to for, mm-hmm. for like a minute. Bear Grease with Joe Wilson on it. Bear Grease was a great deal. <laughs> we gained a lot of listeners from Bear Grease. So we'll catch you next time. Aaron, what do we do? Yeah, like it, share it, spread it around. Download that Download. baby. We love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for all your feedback. And uh, if you need any construction materials, go check out Mike Brady. Very cool. Good night. Right. There you go. Thank you. They're into barbecue, cooking women say they're good looking into me, there ain't a way to go wrong. If you're out at the lake or with the hippies getting baked, they're gonna love it if you turn it on. If laughter and good times, tall tales and big lies fall under your category, get with Aaron and Joe's cause you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story. Just get with Aaron and Joe's, hey you know you wanna go and hear them cooking up a story.